Yes! What's up? <laughs> Sturgill motherfucking Simpson. Dude, you've been on a ride since the last time I talked to you. When was it? Well, last time I talked to you wasn't that long ago. Not long but ago. last time you've the been in here. Podcast. I'm hearing things kind of. Is it something wonky? It was boomy almost. I feel like it. Is there weird. something wrong with that? Something wrong with the headphones? Might be just me. Might it be the weed? Is that fucking weed? Did it just change? Well, you ever, yeah, that sounds better. Thank you. What'd yeah, you do, Jamie? Put some fucking effects on that, bitch? <laughs> he didn't touch anything. He's just asking. Is the fed better? So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you're blowing the fuck up, dude. I have to get this out of the way before we even start talking. It's fascinating to watch. Why is that? <laughs> well, because... <laughs> Well, it's always fascinating to watch someone who you think is very talented get it uh, recognized. And I think you're very talented. So uh, then, and then becoming friends with you, it's interesting, you know, to talk to you and to see what it's like and see. See me, see me process it all in yeah. real time. Yeah. Well, to see you. Probably you know, got some interesting insight, I would imagine. <sighs> yeah, I guess so. For me, it was a slow one. It was a slow burn. It took a long time and a lot of different shows till it started getting really weird. It's pretty manageable. News radio was that? How long were you out here before that happened? Oh, I came out here for a show right before that. I was on another show called Hardball. There was this baseball show, so that was like uh, maybe like six months before news radio. So I wasn't out here very long. I came out here specifically for that Hardball show. And then things just sort of opportunities it's, turn into other things. Yeah, the, you know it ebbs and flows and comes and goes. But uh, the news radio fame was like non-existent. Like nobody ever recognized me ever. But you're getting recognized now. Not too much, man. No? Uh, I mean, in specific towns where we do better, yeah. But it, it's most, you know, 99% of the time people are really cool. Yeah. Isn't that the fact? Yeah. yeah. That's that's really what's up. 99% of the time people are really cool. And even the 1% are still cool. It's just it lasts a little too long. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's the outliers, you know, the the extreme cases that aren't. You know, the 1% of the 1% that could be issues. I mean, I, I, it's not even that. In one, the grand scheme of things, I don't feel like I've really blown up that big. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's, I feel like I've clawed my way to the beginning, as it were. That's a good way to look at it. But uh, it's some, well, I mean, what's the beginning? What's the, you know, what's the, what's the top? I don't, I don't know. Exactly. What I do know <laughs> is that there's a lot of people that like will t text me, dude, have you heard of Sturgill Simpson? Holy shit. You know, even like, now, yeah, really? even now, man. It's uh, although I guess transitionally, it's been in the last couple of years, three years. But I mean, I've been doing this my whole life, um, to various levels of thanklessness. But yeah, a lot of years in honky tonks and just dive bars where you were background noise. So, I, and now that I'm older. I think that's been the best part of it is I'm I'm clear and focused enough and I have enough responsibilities in my life to where yeah. I'm not taking it for granted. Does it make sense? A hundred percent. Trying to like really use it as the opportunity that it is to do something hopefully bigger than just myself. Mm. So Well being a famous singer, you know, you, you affect people in a singer and a songwriter, you you affect people in a very strange way. You know, the, there's like a, a an intense emotion that's um, that's connected to a song that like really moves you. You know, there's this intense connection, and so uh, 
it's I think for someone like you, like it's great that you've got all this life experience. I think that helps so much, man. I think if you're a fucking Justin Bieber type character, boy, you're almost guaranteed to be fucked. Like that kind of scrutiny, you do, I don't. How old was he when that all started? I mean, He's a baby. I mean, I, could, was a baby. I, I know who he is, but I couldn't tell you a single song. Not the a single sing, one. But yet I know who he is. Why is that? Well, he's famous as he's fuck. He's famous as fuck. Like, <laughs> but yeah, the poor guy. I mean, I don't want to, well. Yeah, the poor guy. Nobody I mean, could. Nobody. It's easy to judge and sit back and be like, oh, he's such a fuck up. Like, the kid has a, a very rare and unique perspective on the life experience. You know? Yeah. Look, that kid is doing a splendid job. A splendid he's job. He's fucking up just enough. Yeah, he's yeah. fucking up a little bit, but, you know, he's fine. In comparison to what a normal person would be with that kind of insane reach, like that, it was just what what it must be like for him to just try to go through a group of girls. He just, he gets attacked like like dogs. They will fight for him. They'll claw at him. What the fuck, man? He's only like nineteen or something, right? Is he nineteen? That's no insane. That's insane. It's got to be so hard. To, to keep your shit together and to have a balanced perspective because his only perspective is one of fame. So you talking about the honky-tonks and, yeah. you know, when you were here last time, you talked about crazy jobs you had. Like, you worked on a train, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about that kind of shit. Go from that, that kind of shit, to where you are now. You have a, a, a earned perspective, an earned perspective. Whereas a It's guy still like, hard to feel like, it, when you say earned, though, like, my life's pretty pretty cool now man like i get to go out and make art for a living and support my family and and play music so yeah no I mean, it's awesome it's kind of dope <laughs> for sure but uh it I, even then even that said as long as it took to get here and even the last three years like we toured our asses off man mm -hmm. like going in circles to kind of build it organically and i uh i feel really proud about that because all you know no matter what happens up or down i can i can feel like i accomplished something with merit yeah um but it well, it's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful time for artists, you know. Cause oh, so, we're so definitely people... in a moment. Yeah, right? For sure. It seems like a moment with music, a moment with... It's definitely a moment with stand-up comedy. We all talk about it. It's like the best time ever for stand-up. I think country Dude, music, Dude, I'm still too. getting over Brian Holtzman. <laughs> Who's the, la the guy yes. that did the last set that night? Yeah. Dude, that fucking... I was traumatized. Like, that, was, <laughs> that was an experience, man. I can't even tell you. Because you guys, you motherfuckers didn't tell me what was coming. We just like, oh, you got to go see this guy set. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, I'm watching this guy bomb harder than anything I've ever seen. He's, like, telling people in the audience to just start fucking. And, I mean, but he's like, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was amazing. It was awesome. And then after the set, he's like, yeah, you know, like, holy yeah. shit, that was all just genius. Theater. Yeah, he's genius. Brian Holtzman's genius, 100%. And he, he People does, were running yeah. out of the room, man. <laughs> Like literally, this takes two. Where they got, they ran out of the room to get away from this thing happening. On the, stage. <laughs> the vile expression of oh my God. toxic masculinity on stage. Yeah, Brian does the Kinnison spot, which is um, the last spot of the night. So the last guy on the comedy store. Most spots at the comedy the store. The nightcap. Yeah, last spot at the comedy Patented. store just goes on from like, I guess he gets on probably somewhere around twelve thirty, maybe one ish, and then he'll he might go till two. You know, so he's got a long stretch. He does whatever he wants. Wow. That's, that's why it's, it's the Kennison spot. How long has he been in that spot? Well, he's the perfect guy for that spot. 
and he he does it on and off. He's been there at the store as long as I have. He's been there at the store since 94. I, w- I met him in 94. Is it always in that room? No, he does the little room, too. That's where I first met him. Where I first met him, he was like this promising up-and-coming guy that would go on in the smaller room. And, um, you know, he was like one of the hot up-and-coming guys. But he always kept like a real job. But he's, in my opinion, he's one of the best comics in the world. He just doesn't get a chance to show it to people. Right. Like we've tried to talk about like what would be the best way to let people know. And I think because he changes his stuff so much, I think just putting cameras on him every night, filming this, the, these Kinnison spots that he does every Friday and Saturday night. It's, it's, I tell everybody, if you want to see some comedy. It's a tough one because to, to make people aware, you know, to let them know, you kind of have, yeah. you almost in a way sort of have to give away what makes it what it. I don't know, man. Don't, it doesn't bother me. I know. I know. And I think it's fucking genius. I know he's a great guy. And it's, yeah. but I mean, we're, we're not, we're kind of beating around the bush here. He says, obviously ridiculously offensive things that he doesn't really mean it's oh my god i i fucking have always loved that style of comedy you know and he's in my opinion like one of the best ever at it he's a monster just people don't know for whatever but they don't know because he never left right he stayed at the store and that's his spot he stayed in la and he always kept a job he always had a job he's a a meter man at one point he's had a bunch of jobs like that Kind of a Bukowski type guy. Exactly. But, yeah. you know, you you got to do it all for him. Like, someone's got to come along and do it all for him. Better. Cool. Oh, really? Yeah, let's just take these off, right? right? Let's be casual, bro. Let's be casual. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I can't man. wear them in the studio either, man. I, really? Yeah, they, they bug f- you? They fuck with me. It's just not It's not a natural... Uh, you're, you're responding to what you're hearing in your ears right. as opposed to the... You know. It's good for some people because some people don't realize how goofy it sounds when everybody talks over everybody. Mm. Like if you have three people yeah. and they don't have the ear things That's what on. what we were talking about before you yeah, came in about the fight podcast nightmare. and stuff. Yeah, so with the fight podcast, we do four people and we made it mandatory. Like, got to wear earphones <laughs> because we're drunk and stoned and we're talking over each other. People are chewing into the mic. They don't know how bad it sounds. <laughs> people are eating pickles. <laughs> potato chips and pickles into the fucking microphone and it's just like oh my god i would get these screaming texts from people stop chewing into the fucking microphones so we had to we had to institute the uh, headphones policy but for uh, a gentle conversationalist like yourself it's very easy <laughs> put those aside <laughs> are you um like when you were touring like all those three years when you were going crazy and and touring like a maniac have you uh settled that down to more manageable sort of a oh, absolutely. schedule yeah it uh it would have been fine otherwise i mean I, i've always lived out of a bag really you know what i mean and, and wanted to be moving all the time so like in that regard it's kind of ideal but it just the timing was a little bittersweet right uh, my son was born about a month after the last record came out wow. so uh, um, I was home for that and then basically like three three or four days after he's born I had to go to Europe for some shows and then press started rolling in and uh, word of mouth and the record just started selling dude it's like a movie and my you know my wife <laughs> is uh, very supportive and I wouldn't have moved to Nashville in the first place to do anything without her like telling me you can do this you know what i mean i'd just probably right. still be working with the railroad so uh when when it all kind of came about you know 
she basically said, you know, we, we didn't come here and like you do everything up until this point to not be able to go and because you have to now you have to tour. Right. Um, so I did. And other, you know, I, I think missing out what was going on at home and and carrying some sense of guilt maybe for that, because even though like I'm out here and my dreams are coming true, it's providing for my family. But when we come home after five or six weeks, and then I've got a week at home before leaving again. I'm just kind of see. I, I was seeing what I was missing in incremental yeah. stages, you know. And I think it took a toll on me uh, emotionally in a way that I, I wouldn't have anticipated. So that's kind of where this record came from. I don't go on that kind of tour, but when I go away um, just for a few days, just for four or five days, yeah, it bumps me out. Yep. You know, when you come back home, this rush of love. You know, that's a good way to put it. It's what it's like. It's like this uh, when you when I come home, like I just got back from the road. I was in Boston this weekend. I come home on Sunday, and when your kids run up to you and jump in your arms and you're carrying them and talking to them, you know, it's like it's very hard to describe for anybody that like doesn't have any children or doesn't have close friends with children. It's very hard to describe. It's a fucking game changer. It's a game changer. It changes who you are instantly. Yeah, you're just a different thing. You're a different your 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 perspective on the world is so different. And I don't think it's mandatory. And I think this is important to say because man, I used to bum me the fuck out when people who were fathers or mothers would treat you like you were doing something wrong because you didn't have kids. Or like there was something wrong with you yeah. if you didn't have no, they would that's bullshit. Or they would tell you that you don't even know about life until you have kids or that you know, yeah, it's a perspective enhancer, but guess what? A lot of shit's a perspective mm -hmm. enhancer. Like, you don't have to do it. But for me, because I, I just hate when people tell people, you know, that it's like this mandatory aspect of life. I think you could absolutely have a fulfilled life and never procreate. A lot of people shouldn't be parents, man. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. Almost every girl I ever dated. Stay out of the business. <laughs> It's not true. <clears throat> but was, they changed too, man. I, I have a buddy of mine. His ex-girlfriend was crazy, just off the charts crazy. Just wild. Girl was out of her mind. Drugs and sex and chaos. She had a kid. Bam! Snapped out of it. Eats healthy, organic. She's super mom. Wasn't about and her anymore. It also is about a fresh chance to do something correct Yep. And raise a child with love, and and not create someone like yourself. It's a it's, it's this weird eye opening thing I think for a lot of people where they realize where all their anger comes from, where all their oh it comes from not being raised correctly. That's a giant part of most people's lives. Is what kind of an interaction are you having with the people that love you? And if you get programmed like real early on that love means hitting and screaming and chaos and yelling and fighting, dude. By the time, when I was a kid, man, I used to look about marriage like somebody wanted to serve me plates of shit for the rest of my life. Like, what? Like, why would you do that? Because what I grew up with was just chaos. I grew up with people yelling at each other and hitting each other and, ah, fuck this. And you don't realize, I think, until you have a little baby that you're watching learn and develop and you're sort of data crunching all this shit, all these events in this child's life, and you're experiencing all this with them. And the way you're experiencing with them is this intense bond of, of, of love, but of also of guidance. So you have to guide this little person. 
And so while I'm doing that, and just little moments and events in my daughter's lives, little conversations that we have that make me sort of process how they view the world and how they think about things, mm. that has made me just so much more aware of where a lot of my own weird personality quirks have come from. You know? Well, you look, it's like looking into your own eyes. Yeah. So you're seeing, you know, everything's instantly recognizable. It's, uh, but yeah, that's a good way. Uh, how did you, what did you just say? You said, uh, seeing their perspective, you know, yeah. but they're just mirroring whatever you're doing. Yeah. Because they don't so, hide things. No. You know, they man. don't hide emotions. They don't hide thoughts. And if you can open up lines of communication with them really young and get them constantly used to talking about feelings and about thoughts and about why do you get those feelings like how, what you know they'll get jealous of each other why does she get a new toy I'm like, why do you care if she has a new toy yeah. like why does that bother you if somebody else has something good and you see their little brain going oh yeah like because there's this like animal fucking instinct that makes you want to get upset about something and you're like, what? Her friend gave her a toy. Where's my shit? You know, and you got to like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were happy until you found out that something good happened to someone you love? Right. That doesn't make any sense now, does it? No. And you're like, oh, yeah. You can see the little fucking tiny, tiny brain spinning. Like, He's just starting to talk, so we're, we'll get there. But Dude, now it's like it's we, a trip. we really like playing drums together. <laughs> so that's the, probably the... That's awesome. When he's talking to you, did it freak you out? It's happening right now. Yeah, so I mean, he, you know, he, gosh, it was there for a while. There was this little period where it was like 10 words every day, and you don't even know they're picking them up until they say them. And they'll look, you know, look at something and say it, and you, you know, you we haven't had this lesson yet. And it's like, wow, man. Or to when they express emotions, and, and uh, or even to see them at such a young age understanding how to manipulate situations you know what i mean that's, that's <laughs> I know, really right? interesting social dynamic it's, you're watching like a, a primitive game of chess a little primitive child yeah, chess <laughs> <laughs> my daughter was three and we were skiing and she was packing her stuff up and uh, she didn't have her helmet in her suitcase so she had her suitcase closed and then my wife goes hey um you forgot your your helmet and she goes shit she was three. When a three-year-old goes, shit, like a nice long one. <laughs> Knew just how to say it, yeah. I had to bite my hand to keep from laughing. I mean, I try to encourage, like, stuff that's funny as much as possible, but you can't encourage them swearing because they don't, they don't have the self-control to, like, shut it off when they go to school. <laughs> you know? And you don't want to be the parents that teach the kids that swearing around that. But it is fine. It really is. The, the fuck are we doing? Is restricting the use of words to children. It's like, why? I'm about over the PC thing. Oh, my God. It's driving me fucking bananas. But this one is just fucking crazy. So it's just so crazy. Why swears? Just seems so strange. It doesn't seem to be an issue much anywhere else in the world you go. Well, for adults in business... I kind of understand not using them. Formalities. Yeah. yeah. For formalities. I mean, if you want to know something, it, it is a rather lazy form of linguistics, though. I mean, I sure. Get, if you just, but hey, it feels good. So, well, it can be lazy, but it's like everything else. I it's, think it's stress related, honestly, man. Swearing? I think it really, I think it comes from anxieties and, and, and stress induced 
uh, variables. I remember, like, in the Navy, it's fuck this, fuck that, fuck that. Like, every right. other word, when I worked at the railroads, some salty language out there. I mean, because you're under this, like, highly efficient expectation all the time. Mm. And there's all these creative personalities and ideas bouncing off each other in these little confined spaces, and everybody's just wound tighter than a banjo string. It could be used a gang of ways, though, right? It can also, it's also used as, like, a pause sometimes. People use, use uh, it in place uh, of uh, a meter tool <laughs> well you know <laughs> you know well, sometimes people don't know what they're going to say next and they want to say uh but instead they uh. replace it with fuck like a fucking fucking guy with his his fucking i'm fucking sitting there right i'm fucking talking to this you know like that kind of that's where it gets real lazy that's what that's like most people don't even realize like the weird ticks they have i didn't realize how many times i'd say you know or you know what i mean or or like the word like. like 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 is a fucking dangerous one because you could be talking to someone and not pick it up but then once you do pick it up you it's can't, all you hear it's all you hear it's all you hear like people who have that Ooh. little weird roadblock and they, they they have a blind side they didn't see it a blind spot and they just say like all the time <laughs> <laughs> like it's terrifying because it might be me I'm, I mean definitely have been Tommy Segura's got it bad. Segura's got it bad. He's got it bad. He's a likeaholic. He loves he it. He hams it up a little bit, but like on that video he did in Cleveland this weekend, did you see that? I didn't see that. That's really funny. Was it him and uh, Hannibal Burris? No, no, no. He was on uh, News. Like, oh, news was he playing character. that character. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that. Our friend Tom Segura was in this morning show. You mm. ever do those? Do you have to do those morning shows? You no, do I those? don't. I don't do oh, those. Good I, uh, for you. I, I will, my my career will suffer to some degree because of it. But man, I just I would I would never ask anyone to deal with me in a situation like that. So <laughs> it's best just to know what you are. And, yeah, and accept it. You know. Do, do you get a hard time for not wanting to do like certain kinds of press? Do they give you a hard time? Not really. No. I mean, I think. Uh, most of the people that I've been working with for a while now, they know who they're dealing with, mm. um, and I, I don't. I don't mind doing the press. Honestly, it's just it's uh, at a certain point it becomes, I think, counterproductive or even mm. destructive because you, you. It's you. I don't know. You end up repeating things a lot. Yes. To the point that you're asked the same question so many times that without even realizing it, you find yourself giving verbatim answers. Right. And that's when you know it's time to stop talking about it. Because mm -hmm. it's, uh, and the more, like, like I said, the more I feel like I talk about it, you're sort of denying people their a better chance to interpret it in a way that's going to make it mean even more to them. Mm. And they'll hear it in a way that maybe. I didn't even mean it. The, the, your memories become weird to you when you talk about them all the time, too. When you talk about certain things yeah. and you repeat yourself over and over again, it does. It almost becomes a script to you. Like the memories of There's those certain, things get weird. I, I realized, you know, like I said, this, I've been playing music forever, but all this other stuff was very sudden transition. But being a, a skeptical, naturally skeptical person and, and self-aware, like you get in these situations and I sort of realize there's a certain theatric to it all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and then once you get past the reality of that and then you, you learn enough about it to know that you can sit and talk for three hours, literally, but it's not a representation of what you talked about. You can talk about everything under the sun and they might take one little sentence that had nothing to do with anything and an editor decides that that should be the, the title of the article that is mm -hmm. now written from some preconceived stance that you did you were unaware of during the conversation. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like... 
I don't know. <laughs> written word is especially it's, yeah, problematic. You can't print context. You can't print context, and it's literally someone's interpretation. It's art that's interpreting an individual. So if someone writes a story about you, it's really art because mm-hmm. it's their own way of flavoring this whole interaction. They try uh-huh. to do it with you know colorful descriptives, and they try to use bold adjectives and try to figure out a way to paint it in the most entertaining way as well as get some point across. So I think sometimes with a lot of guys... They're also just trying to get you to click on their website. Yep, that's true. (laughs) But the way to do that is with a good entertainment. So it doesn't necessarily have to be an actual factual representation of who you are. Like if someone writes a story about you, like what's almost more important is this art of getting something salacious. This Mm. art of writing something Something that makes you say, oh, this guy is wild, or this guy's, th-, you know, it, it has to be like this one thing, you know, Sturgill Simpson first fucked a man when he was 14, you know, you know what I mean? Like something, like first sentence, like, hey, Jesus, what the, where the fuck is this article going? You know, not really, but he would have you believe that, you know, and, you, know you know what I mean? Like it uh, starts. I've, man, I, 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 re- I didn't realize it until it's when you meet people on the street and you realize they have these crazy misinformed ideas about who you are and what you represent and like you know <laughs> what you are i mean yeah you know that was that was a good lesson learned yeah that's a good lesson like for I'm, anybody I'm actually just kind of a dork and what's that it's really just like a dork and you know you but you're like this <coughs> this outlaw tough guy like you know fucking dirt to dirt that's what they think i don't know some of them some of them probably do people are always looking for that though right aren't they always looking so. for the outlaw country guy Seems to be the case. Yeah, like uh, that was a, sh- a shooter had a song making fun of all these like fake outlaws. I think his dad had you. a song making fun yeah. of all that shit too. I mean. His dad did. <laughs> well, his dad was the real thing. Yeah, you know, it's got to be hard to look at some fake outlaws with designer scratches in their jeans, like they got attacked by a fucking leopard or some shit. I mean, that looks so stupid. And when your dad is fucking Waylon Jennings. <laughs> That's got to be even more offensive. I can't imagine, man. You know, when they see these guys with a hat that they just got 15 minutes before they went on stage, someone handed it to them and placed it perfectly, and someone's doing their hair and checking to make sure everything's good, and they send them out there to be an outlaw. (laughs) Sober, on Adderall, probably beta blockers. (laughs) It's, It's something that... I couldn't. I couldn't possibly describe to you how little I pay attention to it. Yeah, to cut to country or to music in general. Country, but even anymore, I don't really listen to much going on. You are you buddies with that guy, Jason? How do you, how do you say Isbel? His, Isbel. Yeah. yeah, that's the right way to say it. Yeah, dude, I just got into him a couple of weeks ago. Genius, fantastic. I listened to that uh, his most recent album like the entire time I was in Mexico. I was in Mexico for like a week. I just listened to him the entire time. Yeah, we use uh, Jason. Play some shows together. He's a good dude, man. Good, good. You should have him on the podcast. I would love to. Interesting. He guy. seems really a really smart dude. Great writer. Oh, pro- uh, yeah. <laughs> he's kind of the guy. Yeah. Oh I mean, my god. I mean, the lyrics incredible, intense, just so really well structured too. That's the, that's the other thing about this job is you, know, you meet people. That you hit it off with, and but you never hang out because you're never at home. So we've been, we've been trying for like two years to take our wives to dinner, man. But like, it's one or the other. You're either on tour or somebody's back. Or I know exactly what it's like. I know exactly what it's like. Uh, comedians, we work together a lot. That's right. how we do it. 
we we also work together at the store. That's why the store is like a great base. It's like home base, so everybody goes to the store. So we meet each other in the store during the weeknights. And then a lot of times in the weekends, we'll work together. It's a bit, like if we do big theater shows especially. How, you know, how many like nights Vegas. a week do you think you're down there? The store? Yeah. Um, at least two. Always at least two. Just working. Yeah, it depends on how many nights I'm in town, you know. But it's it's convenient for me because my spots are always after 10, so my kids are already asleep. Right. So I can, I can jet out after I put them to bed. I can get, you know, they go to bed at like 8. So I'm gone. You know, it's perfect. And it's also like for for anybody who does the road a lot, <clears throat> it's a nice wake up call. You know, like you just see these animals going up in there. You know, Chris mm. Rock show up working on his Oscar speech. He showed up that Saturday night. We that's were right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Chappelle shows up all the time. Louis shows up all the time. Bill Burr's there all the time. I mean, just all the assassins. Just topping up and testing out new stuff or, or keeping yeah, their chops around, up. Or keeping it... the chops up. Testing out new stuff, all the above. Just you're just working, you know. Yeah. It's like there. Everyone's act is sort of like a work in progress, you know. And when you're close to them, you watch it for them, like like Joey Diaz, who I think is the funniest guy of all time. He's the funniest guy ever. I never never laughed harder than watching him. But I watch his bits. I watch him develop, like because uh, I'm working with him all the time. Right. That's some of the more interesting things about one of the more interesting things about uh being friends with a lot of comedians is watching all the different styles of like creation, how they do it, how they piece it together. It's it was just like songwriting. There's like there's no right way to do it. Yeah. No wrong way. But man, that I tell you what, just that I've only you know, I'm just now getting to spend any time out here. Uh, but I there's something about that world, just the, the couple of times I've gone and spent time in that place. It's it's a totally different head headspace than anything I'm used to or accustomed to. And you can see there's definitely a sense of community. Oh yeah, and there's been a, a palpable underlying darkness. Oh yeah, to it all. Uh, but I think what I, I like the most about it is there's no gray area. You know, for in, yeah. all in all, the, everybody seems to be pretty black and white and like real as fuck. You know, you can get away with some ridiculous shit on that stage too, because it's just the way it's always been. Like like Holtzman, like without giving any of his set away. Right. Some of the things that he was saying, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, dude, I was, I mean, I, I know you're enjoying that too because I was sitting there just like, oh, holy shit. Like, did he-, he was particularly on fire that night too. Like the screaming at people and, Oh so what happens God. when somebody gets up and just jumps on the stage and goes for him? I mean, That's he, happened before. He, you got, I mean, the you got dude with his girlfriend, I was just like, what is happening yeah. right <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, man. That was intense. But the people were laughing, um, but people have attacked him. Really? Yeah. Martin Lawrence's bodyguard and knocked that, him out. Does that once. go south? I mean, then what? <sighs> I wasn't there. I missed the, uh, the festivities, but from what I understand, Martin Lawrence was in the audience, and him and Holtzman, like, were going back and forth, and Holtzman went over to the table to point out that it was actually Martin Lawrence that he was that was he was being heckled by. And Martin's bodyguard gets up, punches him in the head, knocks him out. That was one time I heard, but there was some other stuff too. Damn. One time he took a fucking an ashtray, and Ari was talking about this the other day. The, the comedy store, um, especially like in the uh, early days, had these thick fucking glass ashtrays, old school, old school ashtray. bar ashtrays. I'm sure many people got murdered with one of those fucking things. Man. Well, <laughs> Holtzman was talking about Charlie's Angels, 
and how angry he was that anybody really fucking believes a woman could kick all those men's asses. I take her and he grabs an ashtray and I'll fucking crush her. And he throws the ashtray at the table and shatters his fucking ashtray. Holy fuck. Yeah, it's like, whoa. He blew an ashtray up in the room. I mean, glasses flying all over the fucking place. I mean, he really threw this ashtray down on this table and shattered it. It was a small crowd, but someone easily could have got hit with a hunk of glass. That probably that glass is probably still on that ground. <laughs> they probably haven't decades cleaned it. Later. You definitely could probably find the shards. Damn, dude. But he's going for it. You know what I mean? It's you know it's it's one of those things we were talking about. Like there's there's a when you're writing a song, I guess it's probably similar too. Where you're creating this narrative, you, you're 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 being a, a separate person, maybe than you are in real life, and you're creating it, and you're you're seeing it from that person's perspective. Well, when a guy like Holtzman is doing that on stage, he's doing something similar, but because it's just talking, people don't accept it as not really his opinion right you know they right. they think that he's just a fucking asshole and a misogynist and a this and a that and it's not just like he's a character in a movie that's playing an asshole that's happened to be hilarious which we accept with no reservation it's weird right it's uh i don't, I don't know i was just enamored like after the fact and then looking back on what I'd just seen, how <laughs> when he's in the moment of playing the frustrated, you know, like, you, oh, this is yeah. such, you know, like, what's the fucking, what's the point? You know, it's like, right. But it's so, he was just so in that, it, ha it has to make me feel like a part, big part of it's coming from a very real place, too, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, he's it not was, carrying that around with him all the time, but right. that's definitely coming from a real place. He has this bit about Hillary. I can't so give it kind away. Of cathartic in a way. Yeah, for sure, definitely. But he's like he's a very smart guy. Obviously, but he's legitimately frustrated at the world around him. You know who isn't? Yeah, mm. but if you're not, then you're not paying attention. I mean, it's that simple. In this day and age, look, you, what we all should try to do, and I I know you agree, is try to be as harmonious as you can in your life, in your personal life, in your friendships, harmonious as you can. The problem today is that in this day and age, we have access to all the stories, all the stories everywhere. There's too many of us. That's too much data to crunch. You're, you're only going to get the shitty ones because the shitty ones are the ones that you're going to hear about because those are the ones, you know, ISIS cuts babies' head off. Holy shit. The baby you know, that shit doesn't music. scare me, man. I don't, I don't worry about no? ISIS and things like that. I worry more about... Uh, Natural disasters? Well... <laughs> weird. That's weird. You should say that. Whenever we talk, when we, yeah, I get hung up on fault lines and uh, you know the the inevitable. But my my wife makes fun of me about it. But no, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I should be worried about ISIS. But I'm I'm, I mean, hell, these like neo Nazi bent perspective Zionist groups scare me more than ISIS. You know, like people the, like the here, homegrown ones. Yeah, ones actually here in our country. That, like the Oregon guys. Uh, I don't want to. I don't. Man, I, I watched about, about two minutes of that. And I was just like, I can't even look at this. So. We still never found out who called them Yal Qaeda. We never oh. figured it out. We, we believe someone on this show named them Yal Qaeda. Yal Qaeda. It was either that or it was a comic that we know wow. named them. Yeah, I googled it. In fact, I saw it a lot of times on Google, so I don't know where it started. Hmm. It might not have even started there. Then the person who said it might have heard it first. 
Either way, what a fucking great name, Y'all Qaeda. <laughs> I fucking love that name. <laughs> How did what did what did I mean? I honestly did step away. What ended up happening with all that? Um, one guy got shot and killed. Um, okay. And then there was uh, some guys turned themselves in, and uh, you know there was a standoff for a long period of time. It had to do with grazing and cattle cattle on on uh, B- B- public B- land. BVM, what do they call it? Mm-hmm. Department of Land Management, DLM. Is it DLM land? Is that it? Bureau of Land Management, BLM? Yeah, that's BLM. It. That's it. There's a mountain range in Utah that was still BLM, BLM land. A lot of the hunters were. There's like a bit of hundred, like a hundred year ban on. Is the Okra? I think Okra Mountain Range mm-hmm. on the other side of the valley, and they were getting ready to open it back up after a hundred years. So they said Ooh. the. Well, most people don't have this in their country. Most countries don't have uh, giant swaths of public land that you can hunt and fish on. Right. That was all because of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt faced so much pressure to not to not do that and to give in to that that he wound up leaving. Was he a Republican or a Democrat? I feel like the Democrats used to be the more uh, conservative ones back in the day. And then the Republicans were the more open-minded and liberal. And somewhere along on the, the polar axis has shifted. At least that's what I've written. Read, rather. Anyway, Teddy Roosevelt. He deemed all of this land all over the country as public land, and you you could never do anything with it. You can't you can't fucking put cities in it. You can't do shit with it. This is just public land, and this is land owned by the people of the United States. Yeah. And there's been a lot of like really shady politicians that have looked at our debt because you know the United States has massive debt, and they'd said, look, this is one way we can get rid of this debt. We can sell some of our public land. I think Paul Ryan, that guy that's one of the presidential guys, I think he bowed out of the presidential election, but he was one of the guys that was, it was one of his proposals. And people, the, the like outdoors people, people that hike and hunt and fish, they were going fucking crazy. They're like, you can't do this. Like, you, you can't, but, but you look at it on CNN, you look at it, it's like one of the most important things about what makes this country amazing is some of our natural resources, yeah. our parks. Well, there's nothing else like it on the planet. Yeah, Yosemite. I mean, go to, go to Yosemite if you don't think there's, there's some majesty in places in the world, like almost like a magic land. You look at those mountains and you see a grizzly bear and you see a fucking herd of bison. You're like, holy shit. Like this, what is this? This is a wild park. You can go through this park and you might get eaten by a grizzly. Go ahead. Good luck. I mean... You're in a world where people are fucking coddled and pampered and every edge is covered by a, a thick chunk of nerf. Shit gets real. Dude, you could walk through Yellowstone mm. and two people over the last like five years have been killed oh, by yeah. bears. It, it happens more than you think. Yeah, man. My friend was there. He, he heard wolves howl. He said it was the craziest shit. He said, we're in Yosemite and you hear, Arr! you hear it. Arr! And I was like, is it like a coyote? He's like, no, no, it's a fucking wolf, man. It's different. That'd be bad, bad, bad way to go. Speaking we, of Roosevelt and Yellowstone, have you ever been to that big ranger station? That I think he's the one that had it built out there, but it's this like twenty story high cabin. There's all these weird wooden. You can go. To no, I've heard of it, but I've never oh, been. Oh, it's in amazing. That. And it's like go, really old building. It's really old. I mean, over a hundred years old. But they, you know, wow. all, all the forest rangers. I think. I hope I'm getting that right. Lived in it, but it's pretty much like the coolest treehouse you'll ever see anywhere <laughs> on the planet. But it's a big hunting lodge. Wow. Just check it out if you're ever out there. Imagine those days, man. 
when they they only you know like we have a pretty clear view from all the data we've taken in all the photographs and video and all the people's accounts we have a clear view of what this country's like you know, At this point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know we know about the drive to Vegas from L.A. We know about going up the coast to San. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. know some, but in the Teddy Roosevelt days, no, still, they were they were still they were like 50 years into pictures. Undaunted courage, yeah. man. <laughs> right? They had their first pictures were in the late 1800s, right? So the Teddy Roosevelt age, I mean, this motherfucker was they barely knew anything. No, the fuck did they? How? What year was Roosevelt president? Early 1900s, 1909. So think about that. They'd only had pictures for like what, 50 or 60 years? How many pictures of there were of there of, of Yellowstone, or of uh, the Colorado Rockies, or all the different types of wildlife you're gonna run into? How about a wolverine? You got a photo of a wolverine yet? Imagine stumbling across that fucking thing for the first time, going, Jesus, what is that? Fuck, man. I was watching this video the other day with this dude who was driving his fucking car. He watched a wolf and a, and a, a mountain lion fighting to the death. They were duking it out right in front of him. He stopped his car and he said they were so close that he could reach out and touch the wolf. And so he's sitting there in his car while this wolf and this mountain lion are fucking engaged in mortal combat. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm good, man. What a... But what a crazy trip that would be to see that and you know if you were in the teddy roosevelt like if, days, I, if i knew they weren't coming through the windshield yeah right. i'd go see that but i mean i'm getting out of the car i know yeah we drive through yellowstone every time it never fails if, if there is a grizzly sighting yeah you get there and there's like 20 carloads of people standing out on the street with their cameras out and a ranger standing there saying Please get back in your car. You're, you know, you're entering the food chain. The guy was so sardonic about it. I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is it right here. This is the video. This oh. is the wolf and the, the, look, the mountain lion has the wolf by the neck. Wow, the mountain lion jacked him. That is crazy. Look at the mountain lion winning. I think I'd rather get eaten by a great white shark than taken out by a cougar, man, because it's going to play with you like a ball of yarn. Go, back it up, Jamie, yeah. because before that, you actually see them duking it out before the mountain lion wins. My uh, a friend of mine is a guide. He's a hunting guide in Colorado. Look at this battle! That mountain lion just clamping down on his neck. That wolf's trying, but it ain't working out, dude. The mountain lion ain't letting go. Fuck! Did you see that video of the panther? The lady caught on video running. Yeah, by the her panther in ran by him. Holy shit! That was ran, ran by her. Yeah, it's in Florida. I was hiking on Antelope Island one time and uh, just north of Utah, and they have this big buffalo reserve out there. It's like a public peak, probably 6,000, you know, day hike. And, uh, but there's all these free-ranging buffalo everywhere on the island, you know. Wow. And so we're coming back down the hill, me and my buddy, and as we're hiking down the trail, you know, about 300 yards down, I can see there's a couple buffalo right on, right on the trail on the footpath. And we're like, well, that's all right. They'll, they'll be moved on by the time we get there. And we come down the hill, come around this big boulder, and sure shit, they're still standing there. Man. And, I, you know, I, I, my uncle had a farm. He had cows. I've never been around a damn buffalo. I don't know the difference. And uh, so I'm like, well, they'll move. It's just a big-ass cow, you know. So we just keep walking towards them. And my buddy, he jumps up on a rock, and he's just laughing at me like a dumbass because I'm standing there at this point, and this thing's 15 feet in oh front of me. Oh, my God. And it was grazing, like, sideways with his, with his hip towards me. 
and he's just eating. And finally, he looks up and turns his head and looked at me, man. And I, it, I realized, holy shit. I mean, it's like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, man. Oh, my God. And he's just looking at me, and I'm thinking, this is some dumb shit right here. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? You know, what do I do? And uh, that's a different buffalo, buddy. That's a water buffalo. It's yeah, an Asian like this animal. Old school. A like, bison. There you go, top left. This is a bison. Yeah. Yeah, that's a water. And he buffalo. just turns and looks at me, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm so fucked." And uh, I didn't know Look what else to do. The size so I just of that thing. Took one more step forward. <gasps> you did towards yeah, him? Yeah, I didn't. Well, I didn't know what else to do, man. Because we're Dude, looking. He's looking right at me. Move. We're making. And you know, I just kind of like took. I didn't know. Like he's going to charge me. I'm either yeah. running or what. So I took one more step, and he just kind of like. Often and him and his buddy ran, but when he started running, man, like the whole ground shook. Oh. And I remember standing there looking at my my friend, thinking like that could have been really bad. Oh yeah, you could be like, dead. No Sturgill but, Simpson. But there's it's it's but it's open to the public. You can hike out yeah. there all the time. There's buffalo everywhere. So yeah. That's how's that a winning combination? I know? like it. <laughs> I don't. Know. I do. I I like it way better than I like the idea of a zoo. Enter nature at your own risk. I think you should enter nature at your own risk, and I think nature should be natural. So you're a big bow hunter, right? Yeah. Okay, so we'd started to talk about this at dinner, but like moose are mean as shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you you shoot an arrow in an elk's ass and it doesn't kill it, you just piss it off, and now you're forty yards away from this thing. What do mm -hmm. you do? Well. Most importantly, you gotta practice. Like before, especially if you're gonna shoot an arrow, you pra I practice every day. Really, every day, every day, I, I go somewhere and I shoot arrows. It's something you should probably take seriously. You gotta take it so. It's not like a rifle thing. No. See, a rifle thing is it's all just about understanding how to use a scope and understanding uh, trigger discipline. You gotta understand how to squeeze a trigger and not pull it. But archery involves. A lot of weird hand-eye coordination and balance. There's so many different factors going on. There's like a little sight that you have, and you have to balance that sight out where the bubble is in the center, you know, the level bubble. Right. You got to make sure you're not torquing your bow left or right. You got to make sure that the peep, the peep sight, the, the, the little string hole that you're looking through, lines up and eclipses perfectly your housing. You have to make sure that your hand is completely steady. You want to make sure you don't flinch at all when you release the arrow. There's so much going on. Any micro movement can add up to several feet left or right when it gets down past like 40 and 50 All the yards. while trying to control your intended, you know, target on this yeah. moving creature. Yeah, moving creature. And you have to make, you have to be good enough to make an ethical shot. Right. You know, you have to be good enough to... You know, and it's not easy, man. It's not fucking easy. So that's the most important thing. It's like there's a lot of guys that shouldn't be doing it because they're doing it and they make. I was going to say all that yeah. said when shit goes wrong, <laughs> what do you yeah. do? Well, you you have to have a plan. All right. If you if you shoot an, an animal and it charges out, you got to have a tree near you or something where you can get behind the tree. Right. You know, but you got to assume that if you hit an animal with an arrow, the last thing it wants to do is charge you, unless it's a predator. Predators might charge you. Like if you the real there's a real possibility that if you hit a bear, although I know people that have hit a moose. Um, my friend Ranella got run over by a moose. He shot it with a rifle and went to move in for the the final shot, and the thing was much better shape than he thought it was right and it got up and charged him and knocked him over yeah and i've seen another guy who um shot a moose with a bow and the moose charged him but most of the time they want to get the fuck away from you mm -hmm. but again 
it's not safe. It's not supposed to be, but it's real. I mean, if you are hunting an elk and you kill an elk with a bow and arrow, you fucking killed an elk with a bow and arrow. It is real. It is 100% real. That is a real elk. It's a wild fucking animal. It doesn't have any rule book. There's no act. There's no act break. There's no commercial time. It's a, that's a real 1,000-pound wild horse with a tree grown out of its fucking head. And it's horny. It's screaming. This thing that's 10 times bigger than you is running up a hill with a tree grown out of its head. And, you and now you got to carry it out of there. Yeah, well, you got to cut it up. <laughs> well, we the elk that I shot, luckily, we were close enough to get a truck nearby. But uh, I know guys that have had to camp them out, pack them out. Yeah, because, you, you know, and then yeah. the, the smell and everything, you're drawing predators at night if you have to do bears. that. Bears. you got to be real careful bears. with bears. But wolves, too. I have a friend of mine who's going to be on uh, next week, this guy John Dudley. He was in uh, Alberta, and they shot an elk, and they got surrounded by wolves. The wolves were trying to take the elk. He said it was fucked. They killed two wolves. They're like they got they got charged by wolves. Yeah, it got real weird, man. And he said, and once they had killed two, um, this alpha like hung around the edge of this uh, ridge and looked down at them, and just decided enough was enough and just went ghost. And they all disappeared, the entire pack. But they were around him howling. He said he could hear like twelve distinctly different howls around them, and they have an elk on the ground. Yeah. And people, you know, people say, oh, he killed a wolf. That guy's an asshole. They kill a lot of wolves up there, folks. And you might think that's a terrible idea and that's horrible. And it is if you don't live there. But if you live there, fuck, they have to. Like, you don't understand. Everybody has this idea, and I talk about this way too much, so I'll stop. But everybody had this idea of predators that they're like some character in a movie that knows the script. They don't, man. They, they, you have to control their fucking populations. They just found 19 dead elk that these wolves killed in Wyoming. They just left them there. They just went on a slaughter fest. They snuck into this pack of, like, some of those elk packs in Wyoming, you'll get like 100 elk. You know, they're, it's immense. These huge, huge packs of elk. What'd you call, what would you call them, a herd, herd of elk? And so this wolf pack jumped in there. Look at, look at all the elk they killed. 19 elk, and they didn't eat any of them. They just killed just them. Just them. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like you said, unless you live there, it's hard to have an opinion one way or another. Well, I guess. everybody that has an opinion, it's, it's all, I mean, people that have unrealistic opinions about wolves, it's all coming from a, a beautiful place. It's coming from a place of love. Right. They love animals. But I, they do breed like dogs. And Yeah, they do. You know, yeah, they have litters, nothing, man. Nothing's hunting them. So. Yeah, people are like only the alphas get to breed. You better fucking read up on history, natural history. That's not true. They 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 all fuck. Dogs fuck like crazy. The alphas control most of the breeding. Yeah, but it doesn't mean the other ones don't fuck. There's a lot of wolves. They have. They just did some recent uh, survey on wolves in uh, I believe it was Idaho, and they were talking about how many of them there are. They're like, whoa, like this is kind of, they're, they're far beyond where they thought that they needed to be before they would put them back on the hunting list. But they don't, they don't ever want to put them on, it's like what happens is they reintroduced them in the 90s. And before that, they were pretty much wiped out by cattle ranchers and all these people throughout the West. There's very few like wild wolves in North mm -hmm. America. And so they reintroduced these wolves from Canada that happened to be larger, by the way. 
They're larger wolves than the wolves that were naturally here. What did the Native Americans do about the wolf population back in the day? Well, uh, they, they didn't. They, I mean, they they killed them certainly because they they used to use their skins to sneak up on bison. Actually, right. there's a crazy fucking famous painting, an iconic iconic painting of uh, these oh, the, uh, yeah, the American cowl. Indians with uh, a wolf yes. costume on. Like they have uh, it covering their body and they're crawling with a bow and arrow up to these uh, bison. Because bison weren't scared of wolves. That's They'd be like, hardcore. bitch, fucking kick you in your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, bisons don't. That's one of the reasons why there were so many of them. No, other animals really had a very difficult time taking them out. Look at this. There's the picture. That's like an iconic. Yeah, that's exactly how that yeah. one looked at me right there. Fuck. The left. I was just like, that's got to be bone chilling. What did that feel like, staring that thing down? Man, I, I froze. I literally froze because I just I didn't know what to do. Could be the end of your that life. That was the thing. You're standing there, and I realized I'm, I've just put myself in a horrendously bad situation. The amount of force they could generate, you can't even resist it. There's nothing you could do. You're just completely helpless. Like, there's literally nothing you could do. They run faster than you. Yeah. And they're, you know, that's a 1,500, 2,000-pound animal. <laughs> And the Indians snuck up on him like that. And um, my friend Steve Rinella, uh, not Steve Rinella, Remy Warren, he has this television show called Apex Predator. And um, they did all these different episodes on the ways different animals uh, hunt their prey and see if he could recreate it. And that's one of the things he did. He, he took a wolf skin and put it on them and, and crawled up to these buffalo and got like right inside them. Yeah. But they're afraid of us. Well, they're afraid of people because yeah, of our bang sticks. Yeah, you know? right. True that. I was saying uh, earlier, I, was, I forgot what I was talking about for a second, but uh, a friend of mine is a guide in Colorado, and they found these mountain lion tracks, like all these mountain lion tracks, and then elk tracks, and then the mountain lion tracks and the elk tracks together, and then there's a space of like several hundred yards where there was just elk tracks. And so they followed that elk track, and they found a mountain lion on top of the elk killing it. This fucking giant elk, like 1,000-pound elk. He said it was a huge six-by-six. Six. So you're talking about a, a, a mature animal. And this mountain lion was like, fuck it, I'm going for it. And he jumped on this thing and clamped a hold of its back and then brought it down. The mountain lion weighed 150 pounds. Right. So it took out this 1,000-plus-pound oh, elk yeah. by jumping on its back and biting its neck. You guys get them down in the valley? Not ones, yeah, yeah. Yeah, out here encroaching. They I guess killed a koala it. bear at the zoo the other day. <laughs> yeah. Now we're taking it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, they're they like, how the fuck did it get in? It's got a 12-foot-high fence, and there's it's razor a, it's wire a on the top. 150-pound sneaky-ass cat, man. <laughs> Come on. It saw that little fucking Ewok, and it was like, mm-hmm. I know, but it, it found went, a way. It climbed over barbed wire. That's hardcore, dude. That's hard as fucking core gets. I'm Twelve cool. foot high fence, barbed wire in the top. It's like, mm, good try. I got this. Good try. He probably got cut up a bit, but whatever. He's a mountain lion. They probably heal like that. Think, think about cat. that though, man. One hundred fifty pound cat. Yeah. Like you know, you're you're riding your bike one day. One of those things falls out of a tree on your head. It's gonna grab oh your neck God. with these big old saber teeth. Oh. And, like, take you to the ground and fucking play with you for a while. It's not just going to kill you, you know no. what I mean? It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your shit. Look at the size shit. of that fucker. That's the one that lives up in the Hollywood Hills. That's the Holy. one that they think killed the koala bear. That's a lion. 
That's a lion, dude. I mean, that's like a lion in Africa lion. Look at the fucking forearms on that goddamn <laughs> thing. Like, those front oh forearms are insane. That would be awful. That is, that's an insane amount of power that thing must have. And they say that pound for pound, they're one of the strongest cats. Yeah. I mean, look at its, yeah, I mean, his shoulders and arms, my God. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, if a bobcat tries to fuck with me, I'll fuck up a bobcat. I'm pretty re- pretty confident. I'll kick a bobcat's ass. I bet it still wouldn't be fun. <laughs> no. no, I'm kidding, man. Uh, look, I have cats, and I have to wash them. And uh, my, my daughter is allergic to cats, and the, way we, the only way we can mitigate it is we have to shave them. So they get a buzz cut, like a lion's cut, and uh, wash them. And it makes a giant difference in how much dander they, li- they leave. Because they're both like really fluffy cats. So they, yeah. they would leave cat air everywhere. But So this solution made a bit. But I have to fucking hold on to these little fuckers while they get shaved. And man, even though like they love me, and they, you know, when they want to go, man, they want to go. And you, you realize yeah. like how difficult they are to control. This little, Agile. Yeah, they're fucking, they move, they twist and contort, and yeah. they can fucking, they kick it off you, and woo. These big, long, sinewy, relaxed muscles that all of a sudden you're like, holy yeah. shit, you're actually a little and bodybuilder, okay. <laughs> we're just so lucky we're so much bigger than them, but with a mountain lion, My wife wants to get a cat. There's a bobcat. I'm, there. I'm gonna, come, come get some bobcat. I'll fuck you up, bitch. No, it'd probably be terrifying. Oh, that was a cute one. That's a lynx, though. I don't think that's a bobcat. Those, uh, there's. You ever see those weird lynxes they have in Canada? Those white. I've ones? never been to Canada, man. No, actually, that's not true. I've been to Canada. I've just never been up to the part of Canada that I'd really like to see. They have these uh, weird cats, man. They don't even look real. They look like a like a Star Wars cat. It's called a lynx. A lynx. And, and they have these crazy big paws with fur all. There he is. Look at that. Look the at weird that ears. Yeah. Come yeah. on, man. That's like a Whoa, Narnia dude. animal. Some Turkish delight. Yeah, look at that. That doesn't even look real. Look at that cat. Wow. Tell me that looks real. That looks like something from some weird movie. Like the proportions. Like go back to like that a last picture, or Jamie. Look at the proportions of its body. It's so odd. Giant feet, long ass, big legs. Just a weird body, man. And that thing is just up there, earning, just earning. Just out there hustling every day, jacking what's, what's shit with it its face. Like, what does it hunt in Canada, I guess? Everything. A... I'm sure small things. Oh, I don't yeah. think they get that big. I mean, if I had a guess, I would say a lynx probably only gets to be like 50 pounds. See what it, how, see how big they get. See if I'm right. I don't think they get much bigger than that. But I think they, they probably eat um, 24 pounds. Okay. I think they probably eat like uh, rabbits and squirrels and shit. Or fawns. They'll definitely eat fawns. We found this fucked up video of this Martin, a Martin chasing a rabbit. You know what a Martin Martin? is? What is that? Play it for him, Jamie. Martin? (laughs) A Martin is an animal that I always associated with fur because of those Alaska shows. You know those shows where the dudes are living up in Alaska? There's one called uh, Mountain Men, and this guy runs a fur trap line, and one of the things that he traps is Martin. Well, that's a Martin. It's like a little badger, and it's chasing after a rabbit. So the little black thing in the back is is the Martin. And this is a literally a run for life. Look at this rabbit. It's going, fuck, fuck. And the Martin's hustling behind him. He is moving. Fuck yeah, it is. And this is like a crazy sprint. I mean, they're both sprinting. It's like, how long can they do it for? And the Martin just is relentless. And these people are filming this from their fucking car, following them behind them on the road. And uh, the Martin just finally, the rabbit starts trying to veer off the road. And he gets into oh. the thick shit. 
and the Martin closes the distance. But look at the drama here. So it runs better on the home. The, the Boom, bitch. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And here what's crazy is they're the same size. In fact, the Martin Whoa. is smaller than the Rabbit. Look at the difference. This thing's mean as shit. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, he just carried it up by its face. That's like you jumping on, the on a snow, dude. He, he's, like, he's like he hit a nitro yeah. button or something. Well, he knew the end was near. That was cool. Yeah. Crazy. But imagine if you we went down the rabbit hole on this. Fought with a dude <laughs> to the death with your faces, right? You I'm good. Bit, you killed him with your face and then dragged him up a hill with your face all in the course of 15 seconds. From the time that Martin got a hold of that rabbit, that rabbit is dead as fuck and he was carrying it away in 15 seconds. With his face. <laughs> mm -mm. No, my uh, one of my good buddies is a, a radiology technician, and he most he sees all kinds of horrible shit happen to people like every day. You know, what I mean, I, that's why I'm thankful. I just have to get up and try to sing and pitch every for, to make money. Uh, he said the worst thing he ever told me was uh, there was a guy who was driving along on his way to work one morning, hit a deer, like the deer, the body split in half, and the ass end of the deer came up over the hood and through his windshield, and it was just intestines and blood and shit and guts oh everywhere. God. All over, like the glass from the windshield cut his face all up, so now he's got all this shit down in the blood <sighs> and in his face. So, uh, so they bring this guy, and so he came in and uh, was like went through the windshield and laid down in this creek bed, like after he hit the deer and it lay there, and while he's like laying in the damn creek bed, raccoons came and snacked on his fucking face. So then, and the guy ended up living. But I mean, between all the bacterial, so he got jacked. Yeah, hit a deer. All that shit happened, and I guess he like came out of the truck and then laid down in this ditch until they found him. Like you know, however many hours later, and while he was laying there unconscious, wild woodland creatures had came and eaten the open. Yeah, oh dude had a bad day, man. <laughs> How much of his face got bitten off? Oh, man, I'll, I'll. Patrick said it was not pretty. Holy fuck, man! Uh, and he, the, the dumber he actually lived. Oh that's, my god! You know, I don't know that I'd want to survive something like that, or maybe you do. You always want to survive, but yeah, you always want to survive. You just want to survive just to kill as many fucking raccoons. Yeah, as you can. be like the best raccoon hunter ever from that day <laughs> on. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like a raccoon serial killer just standing in front of trash cans with a rifle. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to work at a hospital. Oh, dude, I have a buddy who was an EMT. He used to tell me some stories. The craziest stories, my friend Steve, he's an ophthalmologist, and uh, he did his residency in Miami during the cocaine days. And he's well played. Like, he's like, dude, you don't even fucking know. And to this day, this guy, Steve, is strapped everywhere he goes. Really? Yeah, he wears a fucking gun everywhere. He doesn't play games. He lives in Arizona, and one of the reasons why he likes Arizona because he can conceal carry. <laughs> he's just seen too much. He saw too much early on. You know, he, he told me just it, every day was just gunshot to the head, gunshot to the head, gunshot to the head. Like you're in... The, yeah, you yeah. Know, how are you how are you going to maintain any kind of positive outlook? You can't, with the, or not just get completely burnt out. You get out of it, and he got out of it. When he got out of it, it was just like this big breath, like, "Whoa, what the fuck did I just experience?" But now the knowledge that not only was that a real thing that he was experiencing on a daily basis, all that insane violence and all that the gunshots and all the craziness, mm -hmm. 
he knows that even if it's not like that anymore, like even if people, there's the cocaine days are kind of over, Miami's much more calm, the violence is not as bad. He knows that that is what people are capable of within his lifetime. I'm sure you still see that shit all the time. I, see, I bet you do, but I think there was a level of it right. during the, the 80s in Miami. Do you know who uh, Billy Corbin is, the uh, documentary filmmaker? Name's familiar. He's got these two great documentaries called Cocaine Cowboys oh, yeah, and yeah, Cocaine Cowboys okay. too. Yeah. yeah. And Billy, uh, he's been on the podcast before talking about it, but he did a great job of showing how insane that time was. Which one of the things that he, he talked about was how one year the graduating class of the police academy, every single one of them within like a year was either dead or in jail. <laughs> They'd been murdered or they were in jail for corruption. Like the whole police department was just massively corrupt. Everyone was doing cocaine. There was murders like crazy all left and right and all around. It was just complete chaos. Yeah. Who's the what's the, one of the guy's names? The documentary, the white dude with the mustache that was kind of like a ringleader of it all. I think he went to prison and he's out now. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. The guy who flew the planes, yeah, would bury the money in the, the yards. I don't remember his name either, but I remember the lady, Griselda. Griselda, Whoa. the godmother. Oh, that lady, I think she's still alive, man. I mean, she might have died recently, but I think she was alive and free in Colombia. Yeah, she's living in South America for a long time in hiding. Yeah, she got out of jail in America, and, you know, if the, if the, her hitman who's in jail is in the documentary is being honest about how many people she killed, like, whoa, whoa, Jack. She alive? She died in 2012. Ah, mm. there you go. So when the second movie was made, they focused on her and her being released. <laughs> Oh, my God. What a crazy time. So my friend Steve, he just saw all that, man. Just He saw a guy with a light bulb up his ass. <laughs> For what? Someone stuffed a light bulb up their ass. You know one of those twisty light bulbs? The, like the Christmas tree-looking light bulbs? Yeah. They twist. They, 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 no, I'm not a Christmas light bulb. I think I'll stick bulb. this up my ass. A big, big-ass one. You know, I mean, I say it looks like a Christmas tree. I don't mean like a little one that's on your tree. Right. I'm talking about a several-inch-long light bulb was stuffed up this dude's ass. People get bored, man. Yeah, they found everything. Wine, champagne corks, um, all sorts of different objects, like coffee cups and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> never heard any stories like that from my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's also probably correlates with the cocaine days. They're probably just st sticking things in every hole they had. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> hats off to anybody that can work. A coffee can you, in your ass? Well, that, and it's probably just seeing all this stuff, like the, the, the different layers of society you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and oh, without, yeah. you know, and having to hold a, any type of firm belief in humanity <laughs> or yeah. civilization. I don't know. I would well, wear a person, I think. Even people that don't see violence, like people maybe that see just a lot of accidents. Yeah. It's got to be spooky. They say that a lot of women who uh, are like EMTs have a hard time settling down and like having families. Like they get whacked out by it, like particularly. That might be sexist to say. I don't think it is. Because uh, I think that's something that uh, I've heard female e EMTs talk about just their own personal experiences but that it's so it's so dark 
Like mm-hmm. every day you're seeing broken necks and broken legs and car accidents and people splattered on the road and, you know, so it's grueling after a while. So what's like, you know, PTSD numbers like in a profession like that? I mean, you've got to be having some trauma. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, there's a certain amount of stress that I think comes with any kind of job where you're looking at death a lot. Yep. I mean, how much PTSD does a doctor have? Like emergency room doctors, how much do they just get accustomed to it? I think it takes a very special type of personality. You know, I think it also does, does man. I think it's r- really a lot like what we were talking about when you're you're taking in all these stories in the world because you can manage your own life, right. but but you're not you're if you're paying attention to the news, you're going to get inundated with stories all by the long. seven billion people, and it's just too much. There's just too much data coming yep. at you, and too much of it is negative. I think that's probably the same way with like an emergency room doctor. Like it's okay if you see somebody get hurt once in your life, a few times in your life, or, or maybe even you know, like you you can get desensitized. They're not processing it because yeah. it's just it's onto the next case. You can definitely get desensitized. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't freak you out anymore. You know, see a guy whose leg is hanging off, and you know. I mean, especially guys who are uh, taking care of troops, you know, oh, Lord. Uh, EMTs. Combat medics? Oh, my, oh my God. God. Oh, my God. While people are shooting at you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're trying to carry them out while bullets are... It's insanity. Again, I just try to sing in key, man. That's, I know. I'm very we grateful. got it easy. <laughs> we got it easy. It's just fascinating um, how many different ways to be a, a person there are, you know, how many different different kind of lives you can live yeah how many different types of experiences you can have and your your reality could be so much different than somebody else's reality and you're convinced that your reality is life and they're convinced that theirs is life you know like what we're talking about with the wolves like those people that live near those things that are fucking shit in their pants when they hear those howls at night my buddy lives in bc and his neighbor's cow was taken out by wolves while they were all watching they're all looking out the window Heard. What are you gonna do? Can't do shit. You can go out and start shooting. Wait for it to get full and fuck off. Yeah, yeah. You can go out and start shooting, but it's dark. Unless That's you have pretty country, man. I, I could live up there, but you know, yeah. the winters I think would just be. That's the thing. They're ruthless. But anywhere that's it's too nice, you get too many people. Right. It's like we were talking like about Los L.A. Angeles. It's yeah. too perfect. Every day the weather's perfect, but because of that. You have to breathe carbon mo- monoxide air. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I was telling you yesterday was the first time I'd ever. Cause, uh, at, at some point, I think we're my family's ready for an adventure or a relocation. But yeah, I don't know that I could ever acclimate, no matter how long I was here, to convincing myself that the traffic is worth it. Worth it. it doesn't you don't have to live here? See, that's the the beautiful thing about Southern California is mm-hmm. you could live in like San Diego, like La Jolla. Like, which is yeah. beautiful and quiet and, and, and fucking picturesque. You see the oceans right there. Yeah. It's so pretty. I like the northern part of the state a lot, too. Northern part of the state is amazing. I was in uh, Mendocino mm-hmm. over by uh, where the, the ocean is. It's like three hours plus, maybe four hours north of San Francisco. Oh, it's so pretty, man. So the redwood forest. We went through the redwood forest yeah. and did all that shit. 
God, went so to, pretty. Went to Monterey once for a meeting with my booking agency. The people who live there got it pretty pretty well. That's, yeah. That does not suck. And uh, some friends in San Luis Obispo, that's really that's beautiful. That's a nice spot, too. And those places are calm. Right. Really mellow, you yeah, can tell. Yeah, real mellow. My buddy John lives in San Luis Obispo. I was about 15 years younger. L.A. would, would seem like a good idea. Right. But now... Uh, Santa Barbara's real nice, too. Really? Man. Love it there. I'm going... I'm, I've got a gig there on Friday night. Santa Barbara's like... I don't think it's more than 100,000 plus people. Plus Still that small? I don't think it's very big, man. The shooter loves it out here. He's lived out here a while. Well, he's crazy. Yeah. Shooter Shooter lives in the heart of darkness. <laughs> he's in oh, Los Feliz. In oh, a, wow. He has an apartment in Los Feliz. He's a crazy man. He's like, you know, he loves it. Shooter's such a character, man. Dude. I love that guy. Sweetest guy on the planet. Oh, he's the best. He's also just like such a character, like who he is as a person. You know, we had him in here and he was talking about about doing meth. He's like, oh, yeah, I've done meth. It ain't shit. <laughs> like, the way, the way he talks about him. Like, like, come on, man. You ain't done meth. <laughs> oh, you never tried crank, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that trucker crank. But he's a talented guy, too. And I also like that, um, you know, you could listen to any one of his albums, and it's like, oh, okay, he's obviously in some totally different phase. Yeah, in this album, yeah. he's just trying some other shit out. He, he's one of the more naturally and genuinely curious and interested, interested yeah. people. You know, like when he's listening to you and asking questions, he actually means it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, Which rare, is incredible. that's a rare thing in the music business. Like well, <laughs> and coming from the son of royalty, right? You know, I mean, his dad was royalty. I mean, there's there's a few musical icons that you look at and you go, well, that's like in the royal 100, 100 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, Waylon Jennings is in the fucking royal 100. I mean, there's just there's just people that are in. You know, Chuck Berry's in. You know what I'm saying? He's in forever. Waylon Jennings is in. He's in. That's his son. So for him to be so normal. And also be a musician mm-hmm. and not be some weirdo who fucking desperately craves attention or needs validation. He's a genuine artist and very content. If know? anything, I've seen him use his position to only try to help other people instead of himself. And that's the truth. Man. Uh well, his mom was obviously so nice too. Oh yeah, I did her yeah, with his no, mom. Total She's so nice, so and and really like sharp and smart, you know. Oh yeah, oh cool yeah. To talk She's to. paying attention. Oh yeah, man. Just cool to talk to. It's so uh, the weird businessman trying to. I mean, everyone out there, everyone I think that's try. I mean, everyone that's not like some sort of a perfect person is trying to do better with their life you know you're trying to improve on whatever you're doing whether it's your job or you know your business or whatever that whatever your hobby is or your obsession we're all trying to improve on it but one of the weird things about being a musician and i guess a comic as well is that you're doing that in front of everybody you know like you're develop we're all developing as humans you know but you're also you're performing in front of all those people yeah it is a when you when you write songs, I guess you you can't ever stop to think, oh, I have to sing this the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's because like, you'll never write any songs. It's a, you could have the crown. You don't you right. don't like that song, 
Well, like for me, I was, I, I don't know. I, I like the song. It's just, Dude, but song a lot is, of people really like that, that song. That song's badass. I, fu- I play that song at the gym almost every time I work out. That's a badass song. You're just too close to it. <laughs> I'm too close to it. Well, yeah. It was a laundry list about my 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 view on laundry lists experience. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's uh just such a great song though, man. Yeah, we'll dig that one back out. It's time time to work it up, I think, in a new way. Make it fresh for us. I don't know. For me, man, I, I love the recording process most most of all. Really? Because that's 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 where you learn if you've improved. You know, you're under a microscope. Uh, I get like hyper focused in the studio. Mm. Um, it's a good thing other people get tired, or I'd probably just keep them in there all day. You know what I mean? Mm. And then, but it's almost like you're so tied to this thing and and in it that by the time it's finished, you just don't even want to think about it anymore. You want to? It's like all right, well that's done. Right. You know. But now you got to work it up and go out in a live context and and play this thing. Whereas hopefully you've you've tried to bear your soul and be as honest as possible, but then you're standing in front of a room every night, so you have to block that part of it out of out of your head that like people are judging you, right? You know, uh, and that's also part of it too. You know, you're living that life experience out in real time. So it's it's has all been really educational and, and new for me in terms of figuring out how to navigate that in as artistic a way as possible without. Um, compromising anything, I guess. I think we all learn from each other in that way, you know. Because it's got to sell. Yeah. Or you yeah. don't get to do it anymore. You know? <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah. Don't do you learn from other musicians in that way? Do you see like how other guys are handling it, or how how they uh, how it influences their creative process? Does it influence you? Uh I mean, you definitely notice traits. And other people that you wish you had more of or that you could maybe adhere to and it's and it's motivating and but like you said you know it's just about trying to be a better person yeah and uh and use whatever outlet this is in order hopefully to make other people feel good too um or to deal with things that maybe they don't know how to express which for me i think is the most important part of making music that's that's what it's always given me in the past before i was a performer and i just loved it from a sheer listener's position you know it offers us a lot of comfort and um i don't know and people tell you this after the shows that you're making an impact on their life and you know some uh my buddy jordo said that his friend her grandmother's like laying in her hospital bed and the last thing she heard she played her one of my songs like you know that song my voice she just said wow he's got a really pretty voice and she was like totally relaxed you know so you hear things like that and it's it's easy to get hung up on mechanics or expectations or pressures or the industry and all that. But like, it feels like if you just kind of step back and hit pause, it's easy to remember that anybody doing this job is very lucky to be able to do this job. And for me, like, uh, I don't think, I think in a lot of ways, the modern media and industry is sort of not ruined music, but it's, made it really hard for people to focus on what it's really about. You know, it's like life is all of a sudden one big episode of The Voice, and it's all about the the year-end lists and who says this is better than what and saying somebody's art is better than somebody's art. And I just don't think that that's ever, like, a healthy thing, if that makes sense. Making a competition out of something that's supposed to make everybody feel included. 
Well, it's definitely contrary to what seems to be your primary focus, which is making the best music for for your expression, De- expressing yourself in the best way you can, and making something that's going to impact people in a in a in a way where your thoughts are going to get across. They're going to be moved by it. You can't do that if you're thinking about winning awards. It's it's contrary. Or, or selling lots of yeah, records. Or selling, you know, yeah, yeah, or any of those things like promoting it, business. You know, like anytime you you you. Not to say that it's impossible. I mean, there it's is hard, there, right? it's hard, but like some people do sell a lot of records, impacting people's lives with great music. It's out there. Well, but great music sells. Yeah. Period. It always finds a way. Yeah. I mean, it's gonna sell whether you're. But like, do you, did you see Amy? Amy. Amy Winehouse. Oh, yeah, the, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, her records that's why i hired the dap kings for for this new one man just the sound of what they did on those albums amazing she's, she's such she's a good musician yeah she was so like her sound what she put together was so in- but to see how the intense pressure of being you know amy winehouse in quotes i mean she was uh, or justin iconic. bieber or anybody yeah, else anybody like that. surrounded yeah. by enablers and kept copacetic mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. and just yes, yeah. yes 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 you know you gotta do other things man you got to be grounded, you know, and I think... Since you got to go home and roll around and play with blocks. Yep. That's yep. what you got to do. Yep. <laughs> I like to get in the pool with them. I, I, they surf on my back. I go underwater and swim, and they try to stand on me. <laughs> it's hard to hold your breath for as long as it takes for a five-year-old to stand on your back as you're floating. But, but I mean, other things as well, like as far as not just family and loved ones and friends which are definitely important, but I also think that other disciplines are important, other focuses, other things you're mm-hmm. equally interested in, you know, because they alleviate some of the pressure of what it is to be singularly focused on one thing, Yeah, which we can get to the point of madness. You know, you and can, it does. Yeah. Uh, that's I, I got a drum kit. I got really into playing drums about six <laughs> months ago. Just to, It's meditational, man. You yeah. have to relax to do it well. And then you're not thinking about anything else. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, this is really good for me. And, I, um, but yeah, that's my thing. I'm so, this music thing, once it becomes a career, it you have to be singularly focused. Especially when thinking about a record, man. My wife, she just kind of leaves me alone. Uh, once she sees me go to that weird play, that processing place, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like she, you know, it's like nothing else is in the room anyway for a while. And then I'm done and you just feel like, Whew, okay, and then you don't write a song for a year. <laughs> well, she seems very smart and supportive. Oh, she can very, recognize that. Yeah. That's that's so important. I have friends that are in relationships where the wife is not very supportive and resists the creative process and right. gives them and doesn't understand it or cares. My wife's very creative too, so she uh, understands. Probably, She's very independent, no. so it's being an only child. You know, I she knows. Like, there's just sometimes where I have to go and be. In my own little yeah. space. I just don't think you get to what you're doing right now. I don't think you get to that state unless you're a little crazy. You you have to be, you got to be locked into it, man. You know, I, I like, by the way, uh, I'm so sorry I leaked the name of your album out. As I love it. I loved it. <laughs> I really did. I, like, I leaked awesome. it out on Instagram, but it was fucking good, man. I was in the gym and, uh, and I said, God damn, people got to hear about this. I was, st- I was so high. I was in uh, Colorado. And when you get high in Colorado, when you're at 8,000 feet, or is Utah actually, 8,000 feet, it just hits you in some crazy, uh, you feel like you're on a spaceship, like on top of the world. Like you're fl- like, I was feeling like I was connected to the world in some really weird way. And I was at the gym. I just barbecued. 
and that that album was so good it was so good especially in that moment at the gym endorphins mm-hmm. flowing and then uh you sent me a text hey man i think you leaked the name of my album <laughs> <laughs> and i went oh no i didn't even think of that man if you honestly at this point it's uh this is definitely a record that anybody that knows about me i would like them to hear as a record because that's how I re- recorded it to be heard. Well, that's but, uh, so, one know. of the interesting aspects of it. Yeah. It's obviously um, one piece. Yeah. Well, you um, you sent me two versions of it. It was kind of cool, too. Or the people did. They sent me one version, which is just one recording. And then the other one is side two. Mm-hmm. And then another one where all the songs were broken down individually. Song. But it almost feels like I shouldn't be looking at that. You know, I mean, ideally, I would. That's not how I. It wasn't designed to be heard broken apart. I guess. But people like to hear like one song if they're in the car for ten minutes. Yeah. On the way home, they like to hear one song. It's not not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, all of my favorite records, like of my top four or five records, are all concept records, and mo- a lot of them are in song cycle, which is. Uh, we, what they call it, like you know, like Dark Side of the Moon, where it's just mm-hmm. one continuous. Or flow, the wall, or the wall, or what's going on by Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah, uh, Mar- um, that, what's going on was one. Concept? Yeah, that was all in song cycle. It was a, a, a written from the narrative of a Vietnam vet returning home to like an inner city home and trying to adapt to society again. It's a heavy album, man. And then Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. If you ever heard that record, that's some powerful dope. No, I haven't. Um, it's all about the journey of a soul, of a soul's life. Whoa. Uh, I never got into Van Morrison other than oh, Moondance. Genius. <laughs> Moondance, genius. one of my favorite songs ever. I always wonder. Well, that was his, that's Girl. what he called his commercial album because Astral <sighs> Weeks, although it's like now considered probably one of the greatest records ever recorded, it didn't sell very well because it was too artsy for a lot of people. So then he turned around and intentionally made a more commercially accessible album, which was Moondance, and of course sold a gazillion copies. Whenever I think about Marvin Gaye, I think about this chick that I used to date. Because when Marvin Gaye got shot and killed by his dad. Here in L.A., right? I don't know where Yeah, it I was. think it was in Los Angeles. It's a tragic story. Man. He got shot and killed by his own father. Yeah. The girl I was dating goes, what kind of a horrible person must he have been that his dad shot him? I went, what? <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> like, but that was how she viewed the world. Like, if your father shot you, you must have been a horrible person, so fuck, fuck him. He's probably my my favorite musician of all time, so I know more about Marvin Gaye than we want to go into here. Really? But yeah, it's a really dark story. Yeah? Um, yeah. Like, how so? He's, uh, there was a lot of that, him and his dad had things that stemmed from childhood. I think his dad was a, a, a preacher, one, but also a cross-dresser. Oh. And so Marvin, I think, was ridiculed a lot and caught a lot of shame for that. And his dad was very strict, authoritarian, really tyrannical rule in the house and beat, beat his mom a lot. Oh, man. Um, so a lot of Marvin's sexual deviancy later on, they think, probably stemmed from, from some of that. But, I mean, he's just a really highly sensitive guy and, and, a, and a genius that, uh, I don't know. What kind of sexual deviancy was he involved in? Well, I know, never heard I don't that. Know, like air the gas, dirty laundry, but there's books about it. He was, he was like S and M bondage. I think he had a 
pretty pretty substantial porn collection. And oh, okay. Like to talk his his seventeen year old girlfriends and orgies and threesomes and that kind of thing. That was legal back then. Yeah, he was just living, bro. <laughs> you know, you know he got got on the yayo and it went from there. But I think yeah, after the height of his fame and even his best selling record, he was married to the daughter of the president of Motown or sister or one or the other and she divorced him basically and took everything like the whole fortune and he ended up smoking Ooh. crack in a bread truck in Hawaii no like, and he I mean, this is after he's Marvin fucking gay you know what I mean no way yeah and then uh, just went down from hill from there nobody oh could get God. to him or help him out so he had to move back in with his parents what as a grown ass man and while he's Marvin fucking gay and then they think a lot of people say that's where the source of all the trauma and pain, him going back to that at that stage in his life oh, was the worst thing that could have happened. And being around his dad again. Being around his dad. Apparently he had an argument and he uh, told his dad, like, if he ever touched his mom again, he'd kill him. And his dad said, well, if you ever lay a hand on me, I'll, I'll kill you. And I think and some people speculate that Marvin was just so done with all of it, the fame and everything that he knew by punching his father, it would get him out of it. Whoa. His dad shot him twice upstairs in the bedroom. Oh, my God. And then he, I think he laid there for about 20 minutes bleeding. And then once the, the ambulance showed up, the paramedics couldn't come in the house as long as the dad was still in there with the gun. So I think his sister-in-law or brother, somebody had come in and, like, find the gun that his father had hidden because he wasn't talking. Oh, my and it God. Took him, so by the time they got him out of the house, Marvin died in the, ho- in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. <sighs> Oof. That's heavy, man. Fuck. What a crazy story. Really sad. It is a terrible story. It's you always when you when you hear about a guy that like has this um it's almost like overwhelming desire to express himself, you know, like when you have a song like "What's Going On," or if you have a song like uh, "Let's Get It On," you know, devastating. Come on, I mean, there's there's some intense memory, like his emotional connection to what he's doing is just so off the charts, and a lot of times that's almost like energized by dark moments in your life. Oh yeah, dark memories. It, it overwhelms those those po- even the positive things. You show me a, a happy, well-adjusted artist, and I'll show you some boring fucking art, bro. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, let's get it on. What's the shit, dude? <laughs> that if was... you got a girl that likes get, let's get it on, you got a good one. He, I think she was seventeen when he wrote that album for her. It was really all about his little young mistress. Ooh, Jesus, that's dark. Telling her how much he wanted to do the deed Oof. whole record 17 is so good there's, there's a song called you really love to ball on the end of that album really yeah and it's just like women moaning and orgasm and really guy was fearless man <laughs> I give a shit well he's just getting away with it too at that time he was probably selling so many records so like oh, go ahead oh, Marvin. Yeah, millions Marvin run with it millions. didn't tour he never toured really yeah hardly ever they couldn't drag him out on a stage no shit really I think when when Let's Get It On was blowing up, he was living in a cabin up on top of Topanga Canyon with his girlfriend and just hiding from the world doing blow. (laughs) Wow. 
Literally. We played one concert that entire record cycle. That's where everybody lived back then. I saw a Hendrix house was for sale a few years back. There's a house that Hendrix bought, but he never moved into. He bought it right before he died. I'll take it. Even if even if he didn't live there, I'm like I'll still buy it. I need to know. Oh man! If he if he did he write something anywhere? Mm-hmm. Was it in paper that this? Did he walk in? If he was he there, he around, probably he wrote something. He he must have bought it, so he had to look at it. So if yeah. he looked at it, he was in there. So he walked around. I'll take it. He probably boned the realtor. <laughs> Fucking I'll take it. Well, there was a house that was for sale that was Wilt Chamberlain's house that had the whole deal. It had a circular bed that spun around. It was like the ultimate fuck castle. And, you know, it was Wilt Chamberlain on his way to banging 10,000 different women, allegedly, according to him. You know, and he had just this insane bachelor pad that was just. How did he get anything else look done? Look at it. Look at it. Like that's his house. Look at that bed. That's the Dude, bed. Dude, that looks like the <laughs> on Enter the Dragon, like Mr. Han's fucking palace or something. Like, <laughs> what is going on there, that's bro? The tenth level He's of got, fuck. Yeah, I'd be walking around in there like trying to find myself in the mirrors. You know, be like, look at that shit. A few years back, that house was for. Is that the outside of it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How dope. A few years back, the house was Epcot for sale. Center. It's an epic, epic house. He's thinking, he's like, I'll fuck my dog too. I'm not afraid. But they had a really hard time selling it because it was worth a lot of money. Look at that place, man. It was worth a lot of money, and it wasn't the kind of house that a normal person could live in. It had like one bedroom. Will Chamberlain's bungalow. Did you see that? No. Look at that pool table. It's like where his knees are. <laughs> it's hilarious. I wonder if that house ever sold. It might be one of those things that you just keep selling and buying, but it's really funky, like modern for the 1980s looking. It's a dope crew, man. Oh, yeah, man. Look at that place. It's all angular and shit, like a transformer. Two, two and a half acres. Like it's, you're expected to go. <laughs> what's something like that sell for now here? Even if it wasn't Wilt Chamberlain's house, what's something like that? That's go? a $10 million house. $10 million. Jeez. Depending on where it is. If that's in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, that fucking crazy palace with the the way his pool is like. Look at it, mm-hmm. all the. I mean, that's a piece of art. That's not just a house. You'd have to have the right buyer. What am I, real estate guy? Look at him flipping houses all of a sudden. The fuck, do I know? I don't even know how much toothpaste cost. I'm telling you how much this house is. I like to say ten million though. It's a good number. I want to say it's a dope house. No less than ten million. Yeah, in mm. 2007, it was. Ten point five million. See, bitch, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Come on, man. Ten to the point five is negotiating. That's where that's the wiggle it's room. Down from eleven point five. So it's sold. Well, this or was two thousand like eight years ago. That's so. how much it was for sale. Uh-huh, it was listed at eleven point five, and oh. then it was down to ten point five. So it might well, still be available. Nah, I bet. Well, I bet a house like that, people buy it and they go, "What the fuck are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Let's make some money." It's in Bel Air, and then they sell that thing. Oh, Bel Air. Yeah, that's an expensive neighborhood. Dope views. Must be good to be Will Chamberlain back with no internet, no Twitter, no Facebook, just all dick. Yeah, those guys really just could, I mean, free-for-all. Oh, yeah. Come on, man. It's chaos. The president, President Kennedy was on a free-for-all. I mean, imagine that. The president just going buck wild. What's amazing is that everyone in the news, like all the reporters, they all knew it. Yeah, they didn't, they well didn't talk about it. There was no stories written about it. Well, I wonder what that shift was. The shift was in America where they decided that they were just going to talk about everything. 
Like what caused Once they knew the it sold. Yeah, I guess so, right? Once they figure out that's all people want is gossip, then they, <laughs> they go, What do you right. think it was? Like, once there was too many different distribution methods, it seems like that's what it is, right? Like, if you only have, like, a couple of different newspapers and a couple of different television shows, it can all be kind of controlled. I mean, monopolize, yeah. Yeah, and you also put pressure on the the reporters, probably, to yeah, not reveal Wiki that Leaks stuff. and that kind of mm-hmm. shit. I mean, it's, it, you know, there was something on the radio in the car when I was coming here about there was a big document. Panama Leak? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't gotten into it. Mm, but, I just uh, heard the cliff notes, but it sounds pretty heavy. <laughs> it's supposed to be the biggest leak of documentary. Millions of pages. Ever. or Yeah, and apparently it just shows all this crazy collusion between world leaders and financial institutions. I used to obsess about that shit, and I wanted to know, you know, like, man. But now, at this stage in my life, I mean, I just go ahead and, and assume yeah. that it's all fucking crooked. So It is definitely all crooked. But you know what I think, man? I don't even think, I mean, I think everybody's got to pay attention to it, obviously. I mean, we're all paying attention to it. But I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think you could do it anymore. I think these leaks are going to come more and more frequently, and they're going to be more and more accessible and more and more easy to get. I just don't think you're going to be able to fuck people like that anymore. I just don't think you could do it. Even the government? I don't think they could do it anymore. I think what they're doing now, even right now, they're like clinging, just hanging on to this thing while it's shaking apart around them. The Apple fiasco and they're all They're not the... supposed to be in control of us, man. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah. You're not supposed to be in control of Jamie. Jamie's not supposed to be in control of me. And the government's not supposed to be in control of you. There's supposed to be some operating principles that we all commune under. And our community should be established in a way that benefits us, not the big banks, not the politicians, not fucking Hillary Clinton giving $250,000 speeches to a bunch of Wall Street people. Mm -hmm. That's all nonsense. Mm -hmm. And that's some old shit that we just assume we have to stay with because it's been this way from the jump. It's been this way since we were kids. Well, my parents grew up with it, and this is the system. Bullshit. They're staying with this system, not because it's the best, but because they figure out a, the best way to extract money from it. You can't, you're not going to be able to do it. It's not going to happen. Once President Trump gets in office, everyone's going to realize what a fucking goddamn joke of a system we've put in place. And there'll be some real talk about having some kind of a radical reform. Viva la revolution! Like, what if they could just fire members of, of the... Senate or the House of Representatives or Congress. That Probably a good like, idea. You're fired. Yeah. You, know? you can't fired, just say you we're not going to do our jobs. Yeah. You know. Well, there's just too many people that you don't know that have any say whatsoever on how you live your life. Like the idea that the Senate or that Congress or that the Supreme Court or any of these people could sit down and decide like what you can can't do with your body what substances you can or can't put into them, mm-hmm. what shouldn't shouldn't be illegal. Like, that, you, you shouldn't be able to decide that. That Nixon thing the other day was pretty interesting about it, where they were just like, yeah, we don't, this shit doesn't do anything. We just, you know. Yeah. We'll just, tell people what it was. Uh, they, there was a former aide, I think. Was that, was that right? Somebody in his... Yeah, someone who... Basically was, came out and said that the war on drugs was propagated to suppress minorities and... Uh, Anti-war movement. Anti-war movement. And they, yeah. they, they knew that there was no threat there and that it wasn't doing anything harmful to people. And, and basically yeah. they're on tape talking about it and laughing. Unbelievable. It's, somebody on late night the other night when it came out, they said it perfectly. Like that Even from the grave, that guy manages to cultivate more fucking hatred. <laughs> he was than, so crazy. Dude, what an evil bastard. Yeah, here it goes. Oh, Last week, a quote from Richard Nixon's former chief domestic advisor, John Eric Erickman? Eh. 
E-H-R-I-C-H, Erichman, surfaced, confirming a disgusting truth that's been very well known by black folks for for several decades. The war on drugs had nothing to do with eradicating a drug epidemic. Instead, it was a ploy to hide for the intentional targeting and decimating of the black community. Well... As this well next as paragraph um, is the the real yeah. dinger. This is Ehrlichman's words. He said the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies: the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew that we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. Wow. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening Evening news. news. Holy fucking shit. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. Whoa. Damn. That's dark. That guy's only concentrating on black people, though. Did you go to an all-black site? Mm -hmm. That guy just wants to talk about the black part. He's got a big, smiling black face. The whole thing's disgusting. It's, it's disgusting that we live under the echoes of all these morons that were running the country back then, all these creeps that could get away with shit. Just like Wilt Chamberlain's up there banging up a storm and Marvin Gaye's coked up in Topanga Canyon with a 17-year-old. You can get away with anything back then. Apparently, you still can. R. Kelly. Paula. <laughs> R. Kelly, allegedly. But that's, you know... <laughs> If you're Dick Cheney, you could just shoot people in the fucking yeah. face, man. You know, like literally. Yeah, literally. Well, those. Do you know what he was doing? It's a canned hunt. It's a. Those are weird, man. Do you know what that is? That's where they go out and you're basically guaranteed a trophy. No, or, man. Well, they're they're hunt. they're bird hunting. So what happens is they go out and they um they open up these fucking boxes of birds and the birds fly out and they shoot them and he still shot somebody in the face he still shot somebody in the face and he didn't talk about it. he wouldn't talk to anybody for like 16 hours afterwards he was probably hammered straight, man. he was hammered oh man most likely he was hammered yeah allegedly allegedly can, can he still sue even though he doesn't have a heart he has like an artificial heart is he still allowed to sue but he shot his friend in the face and his friend apologized that's how fucking gangster Dick Cheney is <laughs> Wow. His friend was like 60. Walked it off. Like really sorry. Champ. I walked in front of your bullets, bro. Yeah. They were probably lit out of their fucking mind. Just, and the, the, you want to talk about PTSD? Do you imagine the demons inside the brain of Dick Cheney? The, just it, knowing what he knows, could you imagine? I mean, if that guy has an ounce of self realization, an ounce of. Of, of objectivity, of introspective thought, where he really thinks about it. Did I do the right thing? Was I? Do you think? Do you think um, that um, weapons of mass destruction? You think that was cool? Was that? Was that okay? There's only a few hundred thousand innocent. Like a, a million people died, but but it was probably for the best historically. I mean, they were going to die anyway. It's not like they're a million immortals, right? <laughs> I mean, what? So you asking about? Do I think? No, I'm just Former thinking. Vice President Dick Ch- Cheney seeks daily affirmation. <laughs> well, he's a biblical character in that right after he had done all these things, right, he clearly pulled the strings to get us into Iraq, and there's clearly financial motives. I mean, he was the goddamn CEO of the company that got That's no bid, billion dollar contract. Emperor to Palpatine, man. He's yeah. a damn Sith Lord. Like yeah. Bush, like him or hate him, he thought he was doing the right thing, you know? Like yeah. the guy believed. Well, this is the thing, the undeniable doing. biblical thing about him. So the guy has a ton of heart attacks, right? Yeah. 
they replaced his fucking heart. They replaced his valves with some machine. And this machine constantly pumped blood to the point where he didn't have a pulse. It was a constant flow. So if you put your finger on Dick Cheney while he had this artificial heart in place, he wouldn't have a pulse. It's Darth Vader. He's Darth Vader. He's fucking Darth Vader. Darth Vader he's like, with the he's like the old man at the era yeah. that, in Prometheus that was like yeah. pretending to be dead and shit. You know? Pull, make sure that's true. I'm pretty sure I'm correct about that, Jamie. <clears throat> Pull that up about, about Dick Cheney's heart being artificial and not having a pulse. Okay, yeah. I was just reading about the actual event on how it happened and he shot him in the face and they blamed the guy. Whittington is his name for walking in front of him. <laughs> 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 Ah, a fucking idiot. Listen, man, you don't point your gun where people are. The guy didn't walk in front of you. That's crazy. As a person who fires guns, you don't ever point your gun anywhere near a person. If a person walks in front, you pull your gun away from where that person is. If you, you have to be aware of your left and your right at all times. You don't stand in front of somebody. The guy didn't just... It's not that guy's fault. Bionic Dick Cheney technically has no pulse. Here it goes. During a recent heart surgery, doctors <laughs> oh implanted God. a ventricular assist device to augment Cheney's failing ticker, but it also gives his critics another punchline to work with because the device moves blood continuously. It doesn't mimic the pulsating rhythm of the heartbeat. Technically speaking, Dick Cheney no longer has a pulse. In Vincert Darth Vader comparisons here. <laughs> and this was in 2010. And that dude's still kicking. That's amazing, man. I used to do this bit about Dick Cheney where he had one extra Secret Service agent. Like, every other guy had five, but he had six. And this one, they, they put him on, like, this all-vegetarian diet, and they had to do jogging every day. He's like, why the fuck do I have to jog? And there was always a guy behind them with a, a, a giant cooler filled with ice. And the moment Dick Cheney has a heart attack, they were going to take that dude out, cut his chest open, shove his heart inside of Dick Cheney, and save Dick Cheney with this Jesus. one extra Secret Service agent that was a sacrifice. <laughs> He's a dark guy, man. He he was the CEO of the company that profited the most from them blowing shit up in Iraq. Bro, uh, <laughs> around the time that that I was in the Navy, the uh, they had this they reimplemented this anthrax vaccination policy. It, uh, I think they they'd done it in the first Gulf War too, and a lot of people think it's directly what's responsible for the Gulf War syndrome and all those guys like dealing with chronic muscle spasms and fatigue and really um so yeah but like they they it came down the pipeline again they were gonna they were gonna make it a mandatory thing for everybody and then uh, i think in 98 they recalled it i can't remember 98 or 99 but the times and all these people had already kind of dug in and figured out that the there was only one lab in the entire world authorized and regulated to manufacture the vaccine called i think their lab was bioport up in Michigan, and one of the owners of the lab was a former admiral of the Navy and also on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I think his last name was Crow. And this guy, so you're telling me that dude didn't know that this contract, this major multi-billion dollar defense contract coming down the pipeline and then jumps in and buys this company, you know, to start pumping people with shit that they have no idea. And it actually got, the lab got shut down while they're manufacturing all this stuff. So oh, like, my God. Like, who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people had to put that shit in their body, you know. And they will fucking experiment on soldiers. They have done it in the past. This, the precedent has been set a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember boot camp, you go down oh. this cattle line, and there's like six people, and you just keep going through, and you go through, and it's like, all these like shots, guns. Just, I have no idea to this day what a lot of it even was, man. I, mean, really? I got stationed overseas, so we had to take a bunch of typhoid. And but there's a whole lot of shit. They don't even tell you what they're putting in you, you know. That, they don't I'll have just, to tell like, you. For a week, you can't lift your arms up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like how fucked is that? Is that they don't have, they to, don't tell have you. to tell you? They don't have to tell you. No, that's crazy. That they can just shoot vaccinations in you, and they don't have to tell you what they're doing. I and if you heard... refuse to take them, they put you in prison. Really? Yeah. Or the brig, you know, like a lot of guys. That, How long did they put you in for? Till you uh, uh, give in? No, I knew guys that I think it was like 90 days restriction. That's it? Yeah. And then they don't they don't have to shoot you when you get out? No, no. No, it's not like that. It's just, uh, it's one of those, but I mean, it was obviously about making money. Fuck. You know, because I mean, anthrax, let's say, okay, let's say you get hit with weaponized anthrax. All right. And you've, even if you've been vaccinated, it's, it's a spore. It's a virus. It's going to mutate as soon as it hits the air. So, you know, I guess the, the argument or the reasoning was that it might make you live 30 or 40 extra seconds longer so you can hit the button and launch some more missiles at them. I don't know what the reasoning behind it was, but, uh, yeah, a lot of – it was a big deal. I remember when that story came out. They found out that the, the admiral owned the company. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute, what? That's so crazy. Is this legal? That's so crazy. I wonder if he took the shot. I doubt it. Well, I'd heard that Gulf War Syndrome was uh, connected to depleted uranium. Maybe it was a several several different factors. Who knows, man? Yeah. Many different factors, because they know that they definitely used depleted uranium in shells as anti-tank weapons. That's been proven, and that was something that they were never supposed to use. And the half-life on that shit is something like 100,000 years or something nutty. So there's these places in Iraq to this day... That are just fucksville mm-hmm. from these these depleted uranium shells slamming into tanks, and then soldiers would take pieces from those tanks as memories. You know, Bring they take home them home as souvenirs, as souvenirs. Yeah. and so you're carrying something that's highly radioactive. Like those depleted uranium shells, it's like literally nuclear waste, right? And they use that as a shell, and it just goes through everything. I mean, you're harnessing the power of the sun to blow a hole through a Jeep. And then these poor fuckers, you know, they they stumble upon this Jeep and nobody had told them shit. And they're, hey, man, I'm going to take this license plate home. You shouldn't even be anywhere near that. You Mm -hmm. shouldn't even be a mile away from that fucking Jeep. Meanwhile, they're hanging around that goddamn thing. Who knows, man? My grandfather was in the South Pacific during World War II, and even as an older man, I, he must have gotten something in his blood over there because it would be the middle of July, and he'd be sitting in the house with, like, long johns and corduroy pants and a flannel shirt on talking about, I'm cold, you know? Jesus. Just, it's like, so, I mean, there must have been some kind of this nerve gas or... Well, maybe even just tropical diseases. Yeah. I talked to anything. this this um, guy. He's a um, uh, an expert infectious diseases. His name is uh, Peter Hotez. He's a um, professor, I think, at the University of Houston, um, but he's a specializes in diseases that people get in tropical climates. And he told me that when you look at a tropical environment, one hundred percent of those people are infected with some sort of parasite. A hundred percent, yeah. Up resistance to it. Well, they just they, or not, or they're affected by it. Like we were talking about um, all sorts of different. 
moisture-borne bacterial mm. diseases that people get from dirty water and stuff that you just get from bugs and you get from the air. And the jungle, man. You're basically yeah. living in a Petri dish. Yep. You live shit's, in a nice... New shit's coming to life every day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the jungle, right, if you go there and you see all that vegetation, all right, ever around you is just life and crickets and bugs and snakes and spiders and cats and fucking sloths and eagles and monkeys and shit. Whoa. Like, there's so much life there that it's at a macro level, too. It's at a micro level. Mm-hmm. Like, there's life that you're not going to see. Yeah. It's going to get into your body. Crawling up your asshole right now while you're swimming or, you know. It becomes your, a eat. part of you. Yeah. Like, they, they have these parasites that become a part of you. A buddy of mine got trichinosis. Oh, dude. Yeah. Jesus. He got trichinosis from eating uh, bear meat that wasn't cooked that well. Actually, he was on the show. His name is Steve Rinell. He's uh, hosted this show called Meat Eater. And he was on the show with a bunch of other crew members. They all ate this bear. And they all they didn't cook it well. They didn't cook it well enough. And they were joking about getting trichinosis at the time. So they all got trichinosis. So they have these little tiny worms, these larvae that are in their body forever. Growing. Well, they don't grow. Oh, okay. They just stay dormant in your body until someone comes along. Say so if you ate Steve Rinella and you didn't cook him to 160 degrees, mm-hmm. you would get trichinosis from him. Like it's in him. Forever. Just, yeah, just part of the deal. And he said he was, like, really deathly sick for, like, seven days. Felt like shit, like he had the flu and pain all the time. was aching and pain. And then it went away. And then it just you just deal with the fact that now you have trichinosis. But, like, in these tropical environments, there's tons of people that have all sorts of crazy parasites in their body. Any dysentery or malaria, any damn thing. Yeah. And, and some parasites they're just starting to now understand. There's parasites that affect behavior. Like there's some shit called toxoplasmosis. Have you heard of that yeah. one? The cat parasite. Endoplasmosis. You can, get, you can fucking die from smelling bird shit. Man. Yes. Like... Dude, one of the creepiest stories I'd ever heard was these guys in Africa. They were standing in front of a cave. I think it was Africa. And they were standing in front of a cave, and they were scientists, and they wanted to photograph these birds, fly, or these bats, rather, flying out of the cave when they would go out at night. Because, you know, the bats leave caves in right. mass. And there was millions of bats, literally millions of bats in this cave. And so they parked uh-uh. out in front of this cave. They <laughs> millions set up the of camera. piles of bat shit, too. But. Exactly. They got shit on. That's what they didn't anticipate. Oh, while they're flying out of the cave, they got out, shit all they over. They got shit on, and they got deathly ill, and they were dead within weeks. Both guys died. They oh, died yeah, of, I saw a thing on TV about that. Yeah, they died from yeah. hemorrhagic viruses, which means they start bleeding out of their fucking eyeballs. That's what you get for going and looking in bat caves, man. Well, bring that raincoat, son. Some goggles. Yeah, man. You got to don't eat it. Definitely don't eat it. But it gets in your skin. Like, you can't have that shit on your skin. Like, you can get sick just from it contacting your face. But bat, dirty bat shit shits yeah. on your face, you could probably die. I'd want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's so so many parts of the world where there's so much life, and that life is so much more dangerous. We're just so used to life being like, oh, look at the squirrel. I love wildlife. Look at that bird. So cute. Look you at know, that. Yeah, you always hear about these people like talking about going down to Ecuador and Peru to do ayahuasca. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to go out there <laughs> in that damn jungle with all those bugs and caterpillars and shit, snakes crawling up my leg. They say that's part of the experience fuck. is going to the jungle, but, yeah, you can do that in Malibu. You can do it in Malibu. I'm good, man. I'm you can just sit down. 
The house. I'll do the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> the cliff notes is DMT. Man, I think going to the jungle would probably be pretty badass. But you have to Leopards have a thermostat shit, with man, you. All running around in the woods, you're no. out there. Yeah. yeah, you have to have people that are awake with spotlights and guns. Yeah. You don't want to be that one dude that goes to South America and gets jacked by a leopard. I was asleep in this tree. Jaguar. Be It'll a jaguar. Be fine. Jaguar. Jaguar, South America, right? Leopards, uh, Africa, Asia. That sounds right. So. Yeah, man. This has been a, a National Ge- Geographic podcast, man. They oftentimes are. You know a guy named Steve Mears? Mears? How do you spell his last name? He's a British guy. He's like a naturalist and knows. He's like a, probably a master survivalist, but. Uh, I think it's Mears. Steve, look it up. Steve Mears, man. You should try to get him on the show sometime. Yeah. I used to, when I I used to sit and just watch hours of YouTube videos. He's like one of the. You can just tell he's just like a beautiful human being, but he knows all about. Uh, it's like Bear Grylls and Mister Rogers. <laughs> you know what I mean? But Combined it, but, together, but a little bit more legit on really? the knowledge side than yeah. Bear Grylls. Yeah, Bear Grylls was legit. Oh, but sure. Bear Grylls got compromised by Hollywood. Hollywood. Do you yeah. know why Bear Grylls got that show? I have no I'll idea. Give you some information. Drinking his piss? Nope. Les Stroud, Survivor Man, yep. did not want to fake anything. Les Stroud did all his own shit. He went by himself. He put himself in dangerous situations. He lost tons of weight on camera, where he was literally starving to death. Right. He documented the entire thing. By Encounters. Himself. 100% by himself. Encounters with wild animals, like really dangerous situations, almost starving to death, almost freezing to death, having to make fire on your own, and going there with a very limited amount of things to keep. Like he would go there with like a pocket knife, he would allow himself some string that he could go fishing with, go. And he would stay for seven days and have a drop-off point where they would drop him off then a pickup point. And if he didn't go to the pickup point, then they would have to go looking for him. But they wanted to fake stuff, and Bear, Bear Grylls filled that gap. Because Les wouldn't fake anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, we're not bringing a camera crew because then it's not me by myself. You lose all of what makes the show special. So what he did is just a bunch of things that like they set up. Like, if I found this sheep, I could take it and make a coat. You know, like the sh- they put the sheep there. They killed the sheep. They, they did it for him. Better drink you know? piss. Like he'd be like doing all these stunts, like jumping from tree to tree. Yeah, and unnecessary risks. Down. Look at he's hanging out with hippos. Is it this guy? No. His name's Steve. Blackshaw. I can't find a Steve. What was his last name? This guy's Steve Ray, Ray Mears. Ray Mears. Ray Mears. This Sorry. guy's hanging out with hippos. That guy's, that guy's insane. Ray Mears. Gangster. There's a show called Carter's War, and it's um, this show about this guy who is uh, an anti-poaching um, uh, official in Africa, and he tries to prevent uh, them from poaching all these animals. A lot of it is for... Um, the Asian market for rhino horn and a bunch of these different animals that they want like uh, ivory from and rhino horns a big one though they keep finding these rhinos murdered with their horns hacked off it's a fucking sobering show man for two reasons one because you see what people are willing to do to these animals just shoot them in the head and cut their fucking horns off and cut half their face off with like a chainsaw and shit it's crazy and then also you see how fucking poor these people are and then you realize, like, they, of course they're going to do that. Like, if they can shoot that rhino and make $50,000 from its magic horn, you know, or whatever the fuck they make, they probably make 50 bucks, you know? But if they can make that, and it's between them starving and not starving, like, that's literally what you're looking at. Yeah. Everything's subjective. Is this the gentleman? That's him. 
This show's called Bushcraft. Bushcraft. He's hanging out with a wolf. Look at this motherfucker. He knows the wolves. He's like he's like the most unassuming guy ever, but he's he's so badass, dude. I'm it's called you. Bushcraft. Bushcraft. Yeah, Is it an English show or an Australian it's English. show? Yeah, on the BBC, I believe. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Dude will just walk out in the woods with with nothing but a damn. Oh, there he is. Metal What's he cooking there? A fish. With the. Looks like some piece of meat or something he got. Yeah, these guys that are into like surviving on their own, like that they take great pleasure with that. They're always fascinating. Like he's, he's really more of a naturalist show. too, like fauna and natural vegetation and finding foraging food on your own. That kind of, it's a lot of more useful information than just okay, you got three days. Mm. Drink your piss and don't get eaten by an alligator. There we go. <laughs> you know, it's like no man. Well, Survivor Man came up. Les came up with all that on his own. It's right. his concept because he was actually living in the forest with his pregnant wife. Uh, the two of them there by themselves when he was a younger man. Like he did this on his own before, you know, before he was famous. Like he's been doing this forever. What's his background? Where did he learn it all? He just I don't know, man. That's a good question. He told me I forgot. <laughs> I think uh, he just learned. No, I remember just watching read the show. A lot like that dude is suffering. And... Oh yeah, for man. those thirty minutes of viewing entertainment. You know, he's got this wacky thing he's doing now. Though he's looking for Bigfoot. He's got a Survivor Man. Bigfoot is like the biggest thing since sliced bread. Leavenworth, Washington. That's where he is. That's where he's at. Did you see him? Yeah. So we got a cup of coffee on the side of the road one day, and this lady had a whole photo album full of pictures of Bigfoot in her backyard. What showed, it, looked showed like. it, to, it looked like some bullshit. Like her neighbor jacking off. Yeah. <laughs> 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 She's selling coffee, though. You know? I talked to one lady when I was doing this uh, sci-fi show. When we did a whole episode on Bigfoot. One lady that I really believe saw something. I really believe she did. But what I think she probably saw was a black bear. Because black bears walk on their hind legs. Um, there's video of black bears walking like 100 what yards in their hind legs. makes you believe her? She was very earnest in what she was talking about. It was sensational in any in any way at all. What she was telling me was pretty pretty straightforward. And I also believe her because there's black bears in that area. Mm -hmm. um, it's incredibly densely wooded. Like the area that she's talking about was the Pacific Northwest. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That's some wilderness, um, man. I guess Mount Rainier is that Mount Rainier that's right outside of Washington, right right side of, of Seattle. It's gorgeous. If that there. big hairy fucker is real, mm. that's the only place he could possibly exist. Because you could absolutely disappear in that forest. Man. Yep, that's some dense, dense wilderness, and filled with food, filled with food, filled with uh, that is wild definitely game. Definitely not me saying I believe in Bigfoot. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're a hundred percent correct though. If there was an animal like that, that would be the spot. It also would be the spot because that's the spot where it would make sense geographically. Yeah. My th feeling is, what I believe, I bet it used to be real. Because at one point in time, there was a thing called Gigantopithecus that lived in Asia. It was as recently as 100,000 years ago, which is not that long. And that was when the Bering Strait was connected. So Asia and the United States, you could actually walk from Asia to the United States. That the landmass was in place in the Ice Age and was all frozen over. So during that time, it would have been entirely possible. Because so many Native American cultures have names for that animal. Mm -hmm. They have names for this, like, man that lives in the forest. Yeah, or, like uh, Yeti, you know, how's the same yeah. legend on the other side of the world about some crazy... Well, and it was real. Right. And, and then also on top of that thing being real, they also know that there was those little hobbit people in the island of Flores... 
And there's uh, the theory about that thing is that it's either the most recent one they think that it might have been as um, recently as 50,000 years ago, but I think they thought it was like 14,000 years ago until recently. Look at this. <laughs> That's a bear, dude. That is a bear. Look at that. That's a real legit black bear. So imagine if you saw that. Oh, you'd yeah. Say, well, for sure that's Bigfoot. Especially that last little frame. Yeah. See, when bears hurt their paw, like if they uh, get bitten in their paw and their paw gets infected, they can walk on their back legs. And they could do it for hundreds of yards. So I think she saw that. Just when you thought they couldn't get any scarier. There's know? a bunch of videos of bears Jeez. doing that. It's not just that one bear. So there's a lot of evidence that bears walk like that. So this one lady that I talked to, I bet she saw a black bear that was walking on its hind legs. That's what I bet. It only makes sense. You can't see anything in there anyway. That's no, the thing about no. those woods. No. You lived up there, right? You yeah. Lived up Seattle for a minute, yeah. You can't see shit in those woods. No. We used to go up. There's like a w- little weird Swiss mountain ski town called Leavenworth. I don't know. A buddy of mine, we drove there on our way to Vancouver to go partying. I know that was like farther east, I think, but it was like just you know in the middle of nothing, man, just trees. Right. You could you could just walk off into it and disappear. Well, Les, when he was camping, he was doing an episode of Survivor Man, and he was up in Alaska, and um, he says that he heard some noise outside of his tent, and he barely moved. Like he didn't he didn't want to move. He wanted to see if he could get to his camera and uh, try to record this. And he heard something that sounded like a primate, something like <laughs> made like some primate type noise. And then when he uh, went to open up his tent and look outside, the thing took off, took off running. And he said it sounded like bipedal footprints, like a large, heavy bipedal thing. The problem is I've heard bears make that kind of sound. I've heard them personally, mm-hmm. seen them with my eyes fighting with each other. Right. They, go, <laughs> they, they make like. A, almost like a gorilla like a sound, gorilla. and they're Aah! they're attacking each other, and they're like <laughs> they were they were they're making this crazy noise. It was a mother trying to keep uh, a male bear away from her cubs, and she was they fought they fought right in front of us, like within a hundred yards. I watched them duke it out UFC style. Where were you? Alberta. I was watching it go down. Shit, man. So I've heard bears make like a monkey sound. That makes much more practical sense to me than a seven-foot-tall Chewbacca that no one's ever seemed to be able to lay eyes or, or hands on, you know. Well, we got drones now, man. I wanted to believe so bad. <laughs> That's why the one thing I want to believe in Bigfoot? almost as much as aliens. As UFO reports, aliens and UFOs are like the one, those are, that's the one-two punch for what you want to believe in. Man... Yeah. Other than love. Well, that too. It's all about <laughs> love, bro. Uh, I don't know. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Black holes and infinite multiverses. Well, I, I without a it's doubt, kind of egotistical to, to life think out there. that we're the yeah, but yeah. I guess the question is, why would they fucking care? Well, or maybe they do. I mean, maybe this is pretty interesting. I'd watch it. You know, oh, for sure. I mean, come on, man. We studied turtles. You know, dudes travel to the jungle to study a fucking butterfly. Some heavy stuff going on on the back of a turtle, Joe Rogan. That's true. Not to demean turtles. Look, if turtles were on the moon, oh my God, we'd be flying jets to to visit them every day. Oldest known species on Earth. They outdate crocodiles. Really? Whoa. Uh, Yeah, turtles. Been around longer than any other living creature on the planet. 
They're like um, nail clippers. They never had to make them any better. It's perfect design. Yeah, like when I was a kid, nail clippers were exactly the same. They haven't done anything. I mean, they've made better can openers. They've made uh, better Tupperware. Yeah. They've improved almost every aspect. I guess steak knives are pretty much the same. Even even the number of uh, like the 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 shell, you know the, the the you know it's like the symmetrical patterns of the shell. There's 13, no matter how big they are or small. So like a lot of the Indians believe that that coincided with the 13 lunar cycles of the moon. Yeah, I, had, I made a whole album cover all about this shit. I was just yeah, like right? me and the guys like, how weird can we get with this thing? Let's just make the tackiest record cover ever. They are a very fascinating creature. I mean, anytime you see patterns, like even like a nautilus shell, mm-hmm. you see these patterns, these repeating patterns that the animals have, like, you know, okay, well, why is there some sort of a geometric pattern into this animal's design? You know? It's almost, and, almost fractal, really. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's the Fibonacci sequence. The Fibonacci sequence um, manifests itself in, like, sunflowers. Like, they, they say, like, if you look at a pine cone, the Fibonacci sequence is in a pine cone. Meaning the, it's a sequence of numbers like zero, and then there's one, and then there's one, and then there's two, and one plus two, and then there's three, and three plus two is five, and then five plus three is eight, and it keeps going uh, on and on and on, and it's this exponential equation, and when you're adding all those things up, that same sequence can be found in the shape of people's faces, and um, honeycombs, and a bunch of different designs. Like pine cones, there's there you see Jamie's got some stuff they pull up of it. The Fibonacci numbers in nature. There's this crazy green fruit that's always at my. Uh, it might be a vegetable. That's it. What is that yeah. fucking thing? That it's fruit kind of broccoli. Yeah. What is it? Romanesque broccoli. Romanesque broccoli. It's like the DMT fruit. Like when you look at that, like that is fractal geometry in fruit form, or in vegetable form rather. Really weird, but that's the Fibonacci sequence. Like, if you go to the very top and you see how small it is, right. see, and then it, as it tapers down, it gets larger and the numbers all exponentially increase. It's just so fascinating. Tool, yeah, incorporates a lot of that in the time signatures of their music. Man. Yes, yeah, I got they did. Really uh, into that band for yeah. a while when I was younger. Do you know that uh, Maynard Keener is going to fight Ronda Rousey in an MMA match? I did not know that, yeah. but I knew he was. And if like, he loses, he's getting a sex change. You're bullshitting me? Of course I am. I'm okay. trying to help spread a rumor. Awesome. I'll show you some pictures afterwards. He, he does. Is he like a jujitsu guy? Yeah. Yeah. I believe he's got his purple belt. I'm pretty sure he's got his purple belt. But he's very dedicated. He's so dedicated, he got a hip replacement and went back to training. Badass. Yeah. Here it goes. Fight Ronda Rousey. Interesting cat, man. Belt. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. He's, he's a fucking character. I love that dude. You ever met him? Oh yeah, I hung out with him. Really? Couple. He's been on the show a couple times. He's a good dude. He's great. He's great, one of my great most lyricist, man. Yeah. I, I really. I, when I lived out there, I, you know, there was all kinds of music I just discovered that I probably never would have gotten into otherwise. And that band, I really like. Had a little phase, lyrically speaking. I thought it was some of the more cathartic and kind of sardonic stuff I'd ever heard. Really intelligent way of saying things. And I was never a metal guy. He's almost too smart for his own good he's one of those guys when you talk to me like this you you might be just in your own way all the time right so it's one of the reasons why i think he decided to start a wine business <laughs> out of the, in the middle of nowhere just like and and this wine is fucking excellent i don't know if you're a wine person if you like wine but caduceus wine 
I just know what I like, and I love right. it. It's great. He has a bunch of different kinds of wines, but uh, he's he's a legit wizard when it comes to winemaking. He really knows his shit inside and out. It's not like some sort of a thing that he lean, lends his name to, you know, like fucking Orson Welles, we'll sell no wine before it's time. No, he, this is his wine company. Like, he has created it. And he's also, like, figured out a way to cultivate grapes in this very weird spot in Arizona where I don't think anybody was oh, doing wow. it before him. So he had to start the thing from scratch. Oh, yeah, he did the whole thing from Didn't scratch. Didn't that take, like, years? Yes, he's been doing you, it you for years. To... He's nuts, man. We've had some long-ass conversations about it. Yeah, he's one of the coolest people that I talk to wow. all the time. that's ballsy, man. Because I, I don't, I might be wrong, but I think you have to bring in a couple harvest and then you won't even know if the grapes are going to be any good yeah if that's a good oh, yeah. spot for it so you're putting all this money up well you have to analyze the soil and you have to know what you're doing as far as fertilizing it and all there's all there's so many factors involved and in how to i mean it's an art it's a crazy art that you wind up eating you wind up drinking at the very end of it but creating the taste it's like the expression of the art instead of a, an audible thing like a song it becomes a palette thing. But it's a very much like the way he creates music. He creates this wine, and it's a form of art. It's like a mass-produced, not mass-produced, you know, like Coca-Cola, but he's making more than one bottle. He's got several acres. And he creates this art, and you experience that art instead of listening to a CD. Mm-hmm. You're experiencing that art when you drink his wine. Very fascinating guy, man. They just played in Nashville not too long ago. I was on tour, or I probably would have gone. But yeah, I'd say... Top five shows of all time in my life, tools, probably at least two of those spots. Really? Yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's just, they're so incredibly tight live, just aesthetically in the presentation. And it's, you know, most like big loud metal shows, it's just, it's like, right, right. It was, it was pristine, like sound wise. And the drummer's a machine. Yeah. Danny Carey. I wouldn't put them in a metal category. Maybe I'd be wrong. It's, I don't know what you'd call it. It's it was so unique. I remember hearing it, even thinking that's that's very uh, some complex shit going on, man. Yeah, we're talking about like motivating songs. You ever, that that riff in the song Prison Sex. Yeah. You know the beginning. Down 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 down. When you're lifting weights and that comes on, you can lift more weights, man. You can lift more weights. You feel stronger. You're like ah. If you're tired, you're on the elliptical machine. That comes on. You're like ah. You can fucking push through. I mean, it does something to your body. It energizes you. Like it's a real feeling that you get. We don't think of it as a real feeling because you can't put it on a scale. Very visceral music. Yeah, it's re- something's happening to you. Yeah, when you listen to a jam that's done correctly. Oh, I mean, I, I you know you hate to think about that. I think those guys actually experimented with frequencies and uh, a lot of those deep down pitch tunings and and time signatures are very some very 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 uh, Eastern and melodian time signatures that they're alternating. Yeah, and the off down beat. It's it's some heavy shit, heavy man. Shit. Heavy, heavy, heavy. Like shit. they put thought into that music. Well, the one song that they orchestrated to the but you Fibonacci can totally manipulate sequence. human emotions with tones and keys and vibrations. Oh yeah, and... man. Well, have you ever fucked around with binaural beats? I mean, not like, for fun or like on record. Either uh, for fun, I haven't done it either way. But I know that it's real. I mean, I know that people swear by it. 
it there's, affects your brain waves. I mean, there's affects, a reason all these tribes throughout history out in the middle of nowhere are banging on drums when they're oh, yeah. when they're doing their thing. Fuck yeah, yeah man. There's uh, Icaros. Icaros. I don't know how they say Icaros. it. But you play when you do DMT. And the DMT entities dance to the Icaros. I mean, like, it's a part of the thing. Like, when you do them together, then you understand it. If you listen to the music independently, you're like, fucking weird music. It's kind of trippy, but it's weird. I'll you, play you some of that. Do you think that shit's meant for people One, that... 100%. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is created by a shaman. This, this, the one that I have on my phone that I play, um, it is created by a shaman. It's by this guy. Let me see if I have his homeboy's name in here. I think his name is actually on the, um, on the recording itself. Let me find it here. God damn it, I don't have it on this well, phone. Well, I was going to say, do you think it's meant, I mean, other than the people who are naturally from those areas where these things grow out of the ground and occur and they use them to connect with on a religious level their spirit animals and things they believe in but you know, like the tourists going down there and drinking that shit uh how do you feel about that well it's like everything else you're gonna get legit ones and then you're gonna get people that realize there's a lot of money and tourists coming out here and taking this wacky shit right. and so they figure out how to make it so you're gonna get people that are taking advantage of people you're gonna get people that are you know doing all sorts of negative shit and then you're going to get legit shaman mm -hmm. people that are legitimately involved in the spiritual quest of attaining enlightenment and reaching a neighboring dimension like they really believe that they're reaching a neighboring dimension that they're tapping into something that's around us all the time but that we don't have access to in a normal state of consciousness and it's a well of souls Definitely that you're tapping that. into <laughs> yeah. it's it's something yeah. i mean it's real easy to dismiss especially for someone who's never experienced it it's real easy to dismiss and say it's all in your imagination but for someone who has experienced it it's very difficult to accept and it's very difficult for you to n say that you know for sure that it's all your imagination if you haven't experienced it. I, I, it's very, I, I appreciate from, a, from a, um, uh, an intelligence standpoint someone's perspective on it that hasn't experienced it. But the reality is until you know what you're talking, until you've actually gone into that thing and know how titanically alien it is. You you're really just saying things. You're just making noises with your mouth. You don't. You, it's no. There's no way you could know. It's not like it's. Well, I had a dream once, and uh, mm -hmm. it was kind of simple. No, no, no. It's you're not there anymore. You go to a different place. You experience a different reality. More real than what we normally interpret as reality. That's the most fucked up yeah. part about it. Is it's so much crisper and more vibrant and brighter and then reality itself seems muted in some odd way. It's almost like we're we're we're, we're like having sex with a condom on, you know, and a big thick fucking trash bag condom. And when you pass through to whatever the fuck this other dimension is, that filter, the, the, the frosted window is removed, and you could see it all. The, the fog's gone, the clouds are gone, and you just, boom, get shot through a cannon to the middle of reality. And that middle of reality is some strange, geometric, living environment where there's no, um, no three-dimensional objects in, in, that, that aren't touching each other. 
everything is connected to everything else. Like there's a bunch of different things. They're constantly alternating all the time, but there's no space between anything. There's no like, like space between you and me. Hmm. Not in, in that world. It doesn't exist. There's no space. Everything is everything. It's all together. It's all together. And you feel all together. Like for the first time ever, you don't feel like you're sitting in Canoga Park in a chair with a roof over your head and above that roof is the sky and above the sky is the moon. You don't feel that. When you're in this, you feel like you feel down, infinite. You feel to the left and to the right, infinite. You feel above. But you also feel like you're in a room. It's, and it, it feels fractal and it's, just, oh, it's fucking crazy. So, I mean, it might all be in your imagination. But my take on it has always been, even if it is, even if you're not going to a well of souls and experiencing God and experiencing purity and wisdom, it's the same exact experience as if you were. So even if it is in your imagination, your imagination has pretty cool, some fucking <laughs> amazing. I mean, it might it might be that's what you're experiencing. It 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 very well might be. It's you don't know, we, and there's no way to tell. And it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be dismissive. It's easy to say, "Oh, come on, these fucking hippies. They think they're experiencing God through yeah. some powder that they smoke." You know, way to go, meathead. Yeah, yeah, you really are. It's, I mean, it's cute. It's fun to do. It's easy to dismiss it. But once you do it, there's, there's no dismissing it when you're there. There's no dismissing it. There's no easy explanation. There's either. no easy anything once no. you're there. Once you're in there, you better let go, bitch. You better let go. You better not try to fucking wrap your head around this. Just breathe and try not to freak out. And with that note, ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing in town, man? I gotta do. Uh, I don't. I don't. I gotta. I don't gotta do anything. We are getting ready to put a record out, and tomorrow we're taping a live show for a radio station, and then Wednesday we're taping a song for Conan. Oh, beautiful! And then uh, so just a little quick, quick trip out. Get to get to finally get the, the new band out of rehearsal space and see what's going on. Though I'm excited. Nice. It was fun last time I went with you to Conan. I never. Oh yeah. Really, I don't. Yeah, it's fun, man. You know those TV things as they go. It's always a strange dynamic. You know, even even for performers, because you get there and you do it, and then you wait and you do it again for TV, and you know, and you do it and you wait and you wait and you wait. But of all of the ones that we've played, I think that one, and maybe it's just because it's in California, but there's a far more mellow, laid back vibe. I think Conan's a really nice guy. The studio space is, is bigger. A lot of the New York ones, it's still fun, but they're older, more tight buildings, and the union crews are on. A, you know, they're running at crack tight. Right. Um, so you, which may be a better thing to keep your adrenaline up. Mm. So, oh yeah. Right, sitting right, right. around all day and then at four thirty, like, okay, you're on in two minutes. You know, by the way, millions of people are going to watch this. Like, so when is this going to be on? Uh, that I'm not sure. We're taping it because we're out here for the other thing as opposed to waiting until the fall when we're actually here on tour. So we just bring everybody out and it's, they've, we've done it twice. And, but yeah, him and Andy, they've been great to us, man. No, they're awesome, man. He's a great guy. He's a like well-known, nice guy. Really? You know? oh, yeah, you it can, just you seems like tell. it. You he, can tell he's doing the show. He's a, a genuine music lover, too. Yeah. Listen, man, it's always been fun. We've got to do this more often. Fuck yeah, Sturgill Simpson. Apparently, I'll be coming here every once in a while. Keep so. it coming! Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Thanks, Kevin man. Rose. See you there. Later. Oh, yeah.